Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Brothers and sisters of the leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys congregate via live video, thanks coronavirus you giant asshole, to talk their way through the 1982 dystopian action film Turkey Shoot, aka Escape 2000, aka Blood Camp Thatcher. Man, this movie has more names than Puff Daddy. And... Speaking of puff, the fellas' faces are going to be puffy as hell tomorrow morning after they get drunk on a plethora of craft beers while smoking the Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente 38th Anniversary Limited Edition Cigar. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Whatever the hell that means. So, sit back, folks, light them up, and enjoy the show. Oh, that's not a, that's not a bad beer. Boys, do y'all know do y'all know what uh, rednecks do for Thanksgiving? Fry turkey. No. Okay. Anybody else? No. The correct answer is pump pumpkin. Pump kin. Please tell me that's the only joke you've got this evening. I don't like it. You boys have. It is. You've got more jokes, don't you? No, no, I don't. Did you boys have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. How was yours? Uh, mine was okay. It sucked. You know, we couldn't see all our family like we usually do. Uh, my, my mom's. What the fuck is Tut? Is he eating leftovers? No, I'm gonna put my candle up during the show. I got my mood candle up. Trying to recover from Thanksgiving. I just want to just get in a little ambience right there. See how that candle will interfere with the aroma from tonight's cigar at all. Eh, Tut's an expert. He knows what he's doing. But yeah, we uh, we couldn't have the big family like we usually do. My uh, my mother's married to an Italian fellow, so it's usually Thanksgiving, Christmas dinners are a big uh, a, a big gathering of folks. So that sucked that we couldn't do that. But for the first year ever. 
I held Thanksgiving dinner at my house. So, oh yeah. Uh, well, it sucked that we it was such a limited small group. Yeah. It was kind of fucking awesome that I had some say in the menu for once. You know what that means, Yaks? Turkey? No fucking green bean casserole. For the first time in four decades, I did not have to stare at that gross shit on the table at Thanksgiving. We've talked about here on the show my absolute hatred for green bean casserole. (laughs) And finally, it was eradicated from my holiday. It It was a beautiful thing. (laughs) <laughs> don't you bring that casserole up in here some you anti-casserole bastard some conniving bastard yes that's a good word yeah some conniving bastard did smuggle in a one of those cranberry logs when i wasn't looking but i'll i don't know who it was yet i'm gonna deal with that in due time payback's a bitch motherfuckers um oh we had my girl made a uh Sweet potato pie casserole. And when she makes sweet potato pie casserole, it comes out damn good. And then she surprised me. Apple cobbler. Homemade from scratch. And mm. it was, oh, man, I gained like six pounds just from looking at it. That, that's a lie. I ate it. That's why I gained six pounds. Was it just the two, y'all? Yeah. How'd, yeah. She, how'd she surprise you? How didn't you see that going down in the kitchen? Because I was actually in the room studying all day. I mean, I've literally been in the room with the door shut, just going nuts on it. And I can't smell anything. I thought you were going to say something cool, like you were outside drinking bourbon and smoking stogies all day while the woman was inside making the apple cobbler. No, not at all. Another advantage of having it in my house, I could drink as much as I wanted and not have to worry about driving home. That is true. Big advantage. Yeah. So that was was really nice. Um, Yeah. And sorry about that. Whoever brought that cranberry log, I just said some really harsh words there. And I I should probably relax a little bit. I'm sorry. Let me just take a cleansing breath before we start the show. Do you boys know why green beans meditate? To find inner peas. Yaks, that was it. No more jokes, I promise. You're lying. You're lying to me. It's okay. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club post Thanksgiving episode 129. I'm your host, Matt Cade. I'm here safe and sound, as always, in the corner of no hope. And I'm very thankful that all of you lovable, messed up Looney Tunes out there on the interwebs choose to hang out with us for a couple of hours every other week. And now that Thanksgiving is over, we can start watching Christmas movies, right, guys? Mm -hmm. Correct. I think it, I think the coast is clear. We can dive That's in. Doc, works. Doctor, the other day uh, we were talking. He uh, revisited the first three Die Hard flicks. Um, everybody always likes putting Die Hard on their favorite uh, Christmas movie list, which it's well deserved. I, I, I think Die Hard Two should be right up there too. Um, it captures the the spirit of holiday travel just as good as. Planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, come on, John Amos. He ain't no slouch. John Amos, William Sadler. Who else, Doctor? Uh, who's the? Oh, wait, you got the senator, the Fred. What's his name? Fred Dalton Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Fred uh, Thompson. Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz is the uh, airport police chief. And in a tiny role that uh, almost unrecognizable because he trimmed down and lost a little weight, but one of the 
henchman, one of Sadler's henchmen. I know who it is. Is uh, none other than Meat from the Porky's movies. That's right. He's 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 one. Willis shoves an icicle through his eye socket, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And by the way, on another note, uh, the doctor discovered recently. You're welcome. That all three Porky's movies are now on Amazon Prime. Are those Christmas movies? No. Should be. It's a present to yourself if you watch them. But that's a Christmas to you listeners from the doctor. Merry Christmas. Season's greetings. You know, we were talking, me and the doctor were talking, and we were like, remember that scene in Die Hard 2 where he gets trapped in that plane on the ground and they're throwing all those grenades in it? So he straps himself into the pilot seat and injects himself out of the plane and it parachutes. And as he, as you see him flying up, he does the typical, but it's one of the very first classic. And we were like, do you think he wrecked like when he did color a night and it was time for him to climax in that sex scene. Do you think he went to the director and was like, Hey, I picked up a little something on the diehard two set. What do you think about this? Whoa! I was like, man, a choice let's try it, experience here it was another time i was involved in an explosion i can handle this all right <laughs> oh! feeling like there was probably at least 15 20 takes but he just kept doing that same reaction all right we could just have you tone it down just <laughs> oh maybe just like a, a subtle groan as you as you uh finish love making i got your subtle groan Whoa! Uh, so if you have not watched our Color of Night episode, uh, please seek that one out. That was a fun one. It was basically two hours of us doing that. <laughs> uh, making Bruce Willis orgasm noises. And it's as good as it... CD, uh, which would make for a nice stocking stuff. It's as good. Yeah. Doctor, are you, mix, are you remixing that CD? Is it going to be out by Christmas? Uh, it may very well be, but I'm holding out for the box set. Oh, okay. Is it Willis doing Christmas songs with the mixed into like the songs? I mean, it could be something like that. Yeah. Deck the whole house. <laughs> I saw mommy. <laughs> Frosty the snowman was a very jolly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 57 right. minutes of that. Hey, put me down for two copies, pal. Like I said, they make for wonderful stocking stuffers. I'll stuff your stocking, honey. <laughs> now we're, now we're kind of venturing into dice clay territory a little bit. There. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah no, that, that was a little too dicey. Um, what is your favorite Christmas movie? I'm curious. Oh, for me, uh, you know, it's got to be hands down uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of good ones. Whether you're, I mean, there's some that are more family oriented fare, and then there's ah. obviously some where you can go to like a Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two if you're in that kind of mood, which is obviously a wonderful movie. But man, for me, it's all it's all about Clark Griswold. I loved that movie when I first saw it in the theater when I was a kid, and I still love it. I'm with you, buddy. That's my favorite, hands down. Christmas story, a uh, 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 not so distant second, but uh, it's yeah, it's National Lampoons all the way. Yak boy, 
Oh no, it's it's definitely vacation. Okay. I am I am a fan of, of Christmas story, but I, I like it to be on that day where they just show it continuously for twenty four hours and they just leave it on. It's it's the background of my whole day. Also, uh directed by the director of Porky's, Bob Clark. Yep. How's that for filmography? Everything comes full circle. Whoa! <laughs> so then I guess that does make Porky's a Christmas movie. Sort of, yeah. Ty, you were not in agreement, Christmas Vacation. Is it unanimous? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's unanimous, oh, it, wow. as it should be. Well, we will be doing a Christmas movie for our last episode of the year, and I'm very excited about that. Like a squirrel getting his nuts squeezed. That's a hint uh, for you at home to try to figure out what that movie is. I'm very, very excited. And, Doctor, I know you are, too. <laughs> well, tonight, guys and gals, we're going to be uh, once again talking about a reviewing a premium cigar while drinking some delicious craft beer and talking our way through a movie. But I want to get to the cigar right up front and center because we've never quite had a cigar like this on the show before. And I'm, I'm really kind of thankful that we got our hands on these. So I want to kind of start the show with it. It is our, what is the word I'm looking for, doctor? The a fancy word for the star of the show. The, the resistance. No, see, I was going to say peace de resistance. I don't think that's right. Uh, reason de être. Reason I think for being. All of those work. It is as they're pronounced correctly. Which none of those were. Uh, how about I just call it the star of the show? That works. Yeah. Okay. Tonight's cigar is the Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente. 38th anniversary cigar. If you're on YouTube, Tud is holding a blurry, a very blurry version of it up to his camera. Yak Boys is not much cleaner. Let's see if I can. A little bit there. It. Oh, it smells like graham crackers, especially the foot. Smell that foot, Tud. It's graham cracker. It is a six and three eighths by 52. Yeah, Torpedo. it is Graham Cracker. Torpedo. Uh, all it's a Dominican Puro, Dominican Republic wrapper, binder, and filler. All right. Now, bear with me, guys, because this is a this is a very special cigar, and I, I want to because we were gifted these cigars by Mr. Daniel Marshall. I want to do it some justice. So let me give you the little backstory here. Daniel Marshall and Carlos Fuente. Entrepreneurs and friends introduced the Daniel Marshall 38th anniversary cigar at the Daniel Marshall Cigar Lounge in Yaks. Can you help me with this pronunciation? Kitzbühel, Austria? K I T Z B U H E L? Kitzbühel. 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 Kitzbühel, Australia, back in February of this year. The ju this jewel of a cigar honors and symbolizes their 38 years of friendship. And speaking on their collaboration, Fuente told Marshall, keep in mind, this is Fuente, the biggest name in cigars. I want to do something for you very, very special. I'm making a cigar for you, which I do for no one, to commemorate our long friendship and my highest respect and admiration for you and your story. It's an honor to be able to participate with you on this special anniversary. 
I poured my heart into every detail, hoping to make you proud. I will give you my best. That's high praise. Yeah. Coming or, from a craftsman like that. Yeah. It's a, that was high praise for himself. But you know what I mean. He, he's hyping this thing up pretty good. Fuente and Marshall, um, two creative minds from the world of quality, luxury, and cigars, worked three years on this extremely limited edition cigar. On January 23rd, 2020, following dinner and a live auction, guests made their way to the Daniel Marshall Cigar Lounge and Terrace to enjoy the Daniel Marshall 38 cigar for the very first time. With stunning 360-degree panoramic views, the massive heated and tented terrace at the Kitzbühel Country Club created the perfect setting for the modern-day campfire. A party, by the way, that we were fucking invited to. Early in the year, we got an email from Daniel Marshall <laughs> inviting us to this party where, oh yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger was hanging out in this tent. And we couldn't pull together in a two weeks notice and we didn't have any, we didn't have any money. And well, let's be real about this. I'm being totally real. We, we didn't have the money and it was, and we, and we just couldn't. But you were invited. We were invited. And it looked like a, it looked like a goddamn blast. I got to tell you, there's. It's okay. I, I remember looking at the photos on Facebook and yeah, I mean, yeah, I wasn't that disappointed. These girls going around these low cut blouses with these cigar boxes for everybody and Arnold and Daniel loving life. I'm sure it would, I'm sure it would have been okay. Oh, we would have been bored. I mean, we and wouldn't it, have known anybody. I mean, and to know what the mod—that's <laughs> true. We wouldn't have known anybody. But you know what? Maybe Arnold didn't know anybody really either. So we would have like gone outside, and he would have just been sitting there. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he would have been doing. Yeah. Um, I would have made friends. After, well, Doc makes friends wherever he goes. Yeah. After some of those Austrian schnapps, I would have made a bunch of friends. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, At least for an hour. Well, the modern day campfire is a reoccurring theme with Daniel, something he really believes in. If you want to know more about that, search our interview with Daniel on a previous podcast uh, where he really talks about the, the modern campfire, bringing people together around a cigar and kind of that bond of unity that only a cigar can bring. I, let me continue. Uh, the Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente, 38th anniversary cigar. And yes, I believe it is the longest name for a cigar we've ever had on the show will be made available to collectors at select worldwide Daniel Marshall campfire events and then allocated to 38 of the world's top tobacconists and iconic hotels, representing one location for every year Marshall has been a part of the cigar world. 38 years he started his journey in cigars. So that's the 38th anniversary. It also ties in with his friendship with Fuente. It also ties in 38 years ago is the birth of his daughter, Julia. 38 is a very important number to to Daniel, so that's where we got to here. The rare DM Fuente cigar can be collected from Japan, Hong Kong, South Africa, London, France, Belgium, Germany, Dubai, Qatar, and for a limited time in the United States. Marshall will be hosting his signature modern day campfire events at each of the 38 international destinations. It's going to be a busy guy once this COVID thing uh, settles down. This unprecedented alliance between Marshall and Fuente is an homage to friendship. Daniel and Carlos have spent their entire adult lives in the cigar world. Daniel says this, Carlos and I grew up together from boys to men, sharing similar values, 
commitment to quality, and an unrelenting quest for the best. What joins us together, the golden thread that runs through our veins and drives us to live our dreams, is a commitment to create in all we do a richness of character and a generosity of spirit. Man, I wish I could say some inspiring shit like that. You just did. Yeah, but I was reading his words. That was poetic. <laughs> someday, someday I, I will. I was about uh, to say, I was like, I was, I put you can that picture back in my it. head. I was like, man, you know what? I need to live like a generosity in spirit. That sounds Yeah, nice. I don't have nearly enough generosity in my spirit. To prove it, I almost didn't share these cigars with you guys. I almost smoked them all myself. Mm, that is not that. generosity of spirit. No, that, that goes really against the letter of the thing. It does. It does. I, it is the antithesis of the camp fund. I just want to smoke these by myself in the dark. Uh, longevity is a common theme between Marshall and Fuente as uh, 2020 marks important milestones for both men. Like I said, it's the 38th year Daniel, uh, 38 years since Daniel founded his first workshop in California, where he began creating luxury humidors for uh, Alfred Dunhill of London. And 2020 also commemorates, get this, the 25th anniversary of the first DM cigar and the 25th anniversary of the iconic Fuente Fuente Opus X cigar. Oh, okay. That's, you know, one of the most popular cigars ever made. So there you go. And it's also the 108th anniversary of Fuente, of Arturo Fuente. Each cigar is crafted by one artisan. There's only one roller who makes these cigars, which usually you see it's a minimum of two people. One person makes these at Chateau de la Fuente. He only rolls 12 cigars a day. I say he, it could be a she, I don't know. Uh, but they only roll 12 of these things a day. It's blended with tobaccos up to 12 years old and then aged a minimum, as all Daniel Marshalls are, in a, in a, of one year in a special cedar vault. Marshall emphasized that the DM 38th anniversary by Carlos Fuentes are precious. They represent everything I look for in a cigar, effortless draw, rich and smooth taste, a cigar that comes alive. I told Carlos, with this cigar, I'm torn. Half of me wants to light it and half of me wants to eat it. And Fuente responded, brother, it's good enough to eat. <laughs> and I'll, I'll admit, I got drunk the other night. I almost ate one, but I didn't. <laughs> the super premium 38th anniversary is made in one Vitola torpedo, a classic favorite of both Marshall and Fuente. The pyramid shape is treasured because the tapered head allows the complex flavors of the cigar to marry in the mouth. In this coveted jewel, you can taste time. God, it's nice writing. I actually wrote that last description sentence. In this coveted jewel, in this coveted jewel, you can taste time. I wrote that. Well, I typed it. I was reading it off their press release, but I, I typed it. How's that for a fucking press release? Am I right? I, That's are you, good. You excited? I am excited. Uh, well, here's the here's the catch. I'm getting these bad boys. Um, because you at home are probably asking if you if these three boys like it, how the hell do I get one? Well, I'll tell you. The cigar is not intended for individual sale, but instead will be sold as a complete package with the Daniel Marshall limited edition desk travel humidor which is handcrafted, as all Daniel's stuff is, from, is it, is it Macassar, Ebony? Yaks, the wood, Macassar? I believe so. Okay. This set will come with the following items. Seven Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente, 38th anniversary cigars, like we're smoking tonight. 
One Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente in a virgin scar covered in 24 karat gold leaf, hand rolled by Marshall himself. That's the gold cigar that Daniel's famous for that I, I couldn't finagle any of those for. Sorry. Um, all right. I got five and I smoked them all. I'm sorry. I got to work. I got to work on this generosity. thing. One additional Daniel Marshall by Carlos Fuente, 38th anniversary cigar that is to be tasted when you join him on a virtual campfire with Daniel. So you can zoom in to a virtual campfire. And I got to tell you, if you're sitting around for two hours smoking a cigar, there's nobody in the world short of Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe, which I don't know because I've never hung out with the dude. Daniel is just a storyteller, a gentleman. Uh, I, I, I think I may have said this on the last show we interviewed him and made him really awkward. I, I told him, I think I, I really wish he was my dad. Uh, it got, it got weird, but you feel the same way. You feel the same way, Todd. The guy is just a, a treasure. He's a beautiful presence in the room. He is. I love that guy. You also get one copy of 38 years, a 110 page commemorative book autographed by Daniel Marshall complimentary membership in the Daniel Marshall's campfire club where you'll receive members only a cigar cutter, a torch lighter, aluminum travel ashtray, along with an issue of Daniel Marshall quarterly magazine. What other cigar guy has his own quarterly magazine? Hey, I could do that. That'd be classy. Matt Cade quarterly. It's got a nice ring to it. Doc, I'm going to let you editor in chief, pal. I got too much on my hands. Damn it. Feel like it'd be more of a small pamphlet. You're saying from the quarter to quarter, I don't really do much different. Well, in the fall, I, I go to jogger pants. And then as, as winter approaches, I tend to go to sweatshirts. And then as spring comes, I go back to shorts, T-shirts. I don't mean to put that, that covers on the, flow, the fashion section. We're eventually so, going to get to smoke this, right? I'm almost done, Todd. The price for the set will range between $1,500 and $2,000 US dollars, depending on the country where it's purchased. Each humidor is individually numbered, and consumers will have the opportunity to reserve a specific number if they so wish. But here's the thing. Some of those numbers are already taken, such as number 17 was reserved by TV personality Steve Harvey. I don't know why, 17, but these make more sense. Number 99 was reserved by legendary hockey player Wayne Gretzky. No. Number one, he gave to big time lifelong uh, cigar fan, Andy, actor Andy Garcia. And number 23, of course, for Michael Jordan. Um, sounds I mean, about right. That sounds about right. I I, res- I res- reserved the number 69. Of course you do. As that's my favorite number. How many of them are there again? Uh, it does not. It does not specify. Okay. If I were him, as long as people were ordering these things, I'd keep making them. I heard that. Limited uh, edition. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think anything under a million is limited, right? <laughs> is now. Um, they also, the, the humidor, it only, well, it only comes with the eight anniversary scars. It does have removable shelving. It can expand to hold double that. And that's all the info I have on this unique creation from some of the most legendary names in the business. One, we've never featured a cigar that was a collaboration between two cigar all-stars like this two i don't believe we've ever featured a cigar that you can't just buy the cigar yeah normally we try not to so um i'm just gonna tell you guys right now i don't have an msrp i don't have a price for the cigar we're smoking because it can't be bought just on its own um so 
you know, we can enjoy. We can just enjoy, as Daniel says, and take price out of the equation. Now, okay, don't worry about it. Just light up and enjoy. Just enjoy the evening with your friends. That's what it's for. That is what it is for, Tut. Daniel was generous enough to gift us these cigars from, quote, his own personal treasure chest. And he also sent us along some hand-cut cedar spills from his workshop that he cut for us. Because as he said, lighting this cigar with a torch lighter or anything but a cedar spill, we wouldn't want to disgrace Carlito's masterpiece. Fucking A. Flame on. (laughs) Let's set this fucker on fire. My hands are touching something that Daniel Marshall has touched. That's right. I mean, I shook hands with him, but, you know, it's still. Uh, Hey, do you like how... Pretty awesome gift, man. Uh, dude, he's a, he's just, he's a generous. No, I mean the gift he gave you, but I'm saying the, 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 yeah. the, the humidor thing with the Oh stuff. my God. His humidors are, they're literally works. That sounds, of that sounds awesome. I mean, they are, they're not, they're not just like, st- I mean, they are, <laughs> they're works of art. I mean, they're beautiful. Uh, we went and we watched him, uh, or we looked at them at the, at the, uh, trade show and it was just amazing. I'm like jaw dropping. Amazing. Uh, we we've always ever since meeting Daniel, we I've always been a proponent of like if you, I understand if if for whatever reason you just you smoke a lot of cigars and you can't afford a a large humidor to account account for them all, but he really made me a believer in that there is a difference between a cigar stored and aged in a Spanish cedar well crafted humidor as opposed to a lot of guys just keep them in plastic tubs or you know things of that nature and you you just can't listen to the guy talk about it and not get his reasoning and his yeah he believes it with all his heart and he makes these beautiful things and his story about how he and arnold how he first sold arnold is you know his first treasure chest humidor um watch our interview with daniel marshall and you'll become a fan too tut is lighting his cigar with a cedar spill he's Inhaling and spinning the cigar like a champ. Both boys are. Did you get anything on the cold draw or did you misfits just jump right in and start puffing away? Uh, no, you were absolutely correct. It was a graham cracker on that cold draw. Oh, uh, this, it, so the aroma uh, of the foot is graham cracker. Cade, one more time. What's the name of that uh, that uh, that the humidor with the with the seven stogies in it. It is. Doctor's doing a little Christmas shopping for your favorite podcast host. For myself. Um, the that. Daniel Marshall Limited Edition Desk Travel Humidor. Gotcha. Boys, how was the lighting experience with the cedar spill? A little different, but good. Did you get the cedar? The cedar aroma in the air will I did. Ide- ideally kind of mix with the aroma from the cigar. Let me uh, take a minute here to second here to light up. I, I'm getting a, a little bit of that cracker, um, more more tut than the gram on the aroma. Just a kind of a that 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 gram sweetness there was definitely there in the cold draw. It had just a, a touch of, of like, you know, hay or grass. 
on just the the aroma. I got a little bit of hay, yes. Am I doing I can't keep my cedar spill lit. You got once you get it lit, you gotta hold it. It's not a match. You have to hold it. Yeah, there, there you go. You go. <laughs> Can't find that one. Am I just tasting just being slapped up against the head with cedar now? Most likely, yeah. I'm getting a lot of that. Oh, man. I am getting that graham cracker on the nose. I am getting cedar on the draw. It, it's it's dying down by the second. I mean, obviously, with that flaming piece of cedar wood in my face, I was, I was getting heavily influenced by it. Um, I'm getting cedar and a, and a very creamy, sorry, Ty, I know you don't get creamy, uh, a very, not at all, uh, a, a very creamy, light coffee flavor, uh, on the draw and, and, but the, the, no spice. I mean, the, the, the retro hail is, is literally pure graham cracker. Yeah. Is that what, is that what you, man, that graham cracker from, it's so odd to have a, a note from smelling the, the, the cigar pre-light, getting it also on the cold draw, and then lighting the cigar. Usually anything cool early on is never shows up in the cigar. And uh, yeah, that graham cracker is definitely there. That's weird. I'm missing that. I'll agree with you on that cream. Definitely just just a touch for Ooh. coffee, but Cream, definitely. A little cream. Uh, you're not quite getting the coffee with the cream. And I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to give this a second to sit now that it's lighting uh, really well. Man, for using such a archaic way to light a cigar, the, it sure did burn straight. Yeah. Maybe we should be using cedar spills for all our cigars. Cody, you're the woodsman in the, in the podcast. Start cutting me some spills. Well, I'm, I'm going to need like an endless supply of, of cedar. Well, we do smoke a lot of cigars. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cigars, as you boys uh, kind of settle into yours, do you know who also makes some really good ones? Who's that? That's right, Tut. Our good friends over at Drew Estate. No problem. And one of the most unique offerings in their vast portfolio is the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar. It is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteline, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma 
The Pappy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick and mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. Having said that, did you guys notice that the cigar has a very mild box press to it? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even really notice it when I was pulling it out of the, the cello, but it, it's definitely got some corners to it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to come back to the cigar while Yak Boy, as he does every episode, he is the proprietor and master bartender extraordinaire at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic Temple, Texas. You are the Sam Malone, the Ted Danson <laughs> of O'Brien's Irish Pub. Is that correct? Woody, more, Woody, more. Woody Harrelson? Woody, yeah. Rita? Oh, God. I can only he, wish. Yak Boy is the Rhea Perlman of the Two Nights Dark Club podcast. But no, you know a lot about beer, so we uh, we love you kind of filling us in on what everybody's drinking. I'm actually starting out the night in uh, tribute to our friend Daniel, who was kind enough to gift us cigars, with a beer just for him. What am I drinking, Yaks? The Happy Camper IPA from Santa Fe Brewing. Santa Fe Brewing started back in 1988. Getting kind of close to our, our 38 year, but not quite. A few years six, shut. six years off. Yeah. Uh, started back in 1988 by a gentleman by the name of Mike Levis. Uh, of course, located in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I know what you're all thinking. There's a New Mexico? Yeah, tell me more about this. Apparently, it's just happened. I didn't know about it myself. Didn't know what happened was wrong with the old Mexico. But anyway. Nothing. Nothing was wrong. But the Happy Camper uh, said it is a uh, IPA, American uh, IPA. It is 6.6% ABV, 82 IBUs. Mm. It's, it's got a nice hop, hop bite. It's got some a wonderful piney kind of aroma yes uh, on the pour um it does it's a really nice it, and um it's got some malts but not too the malt to hot balance is really yeah it's a damn good ipa i, I would put the ibus low 70s at best but what do i know that's, that's why i was wondering every time someone always claims that high ibus i'm like man they're, they're talking my language but i have actually had happy camper before and i was gonna ask you about that because i'm I, I was going to put it probably in the 60s myself. Uh, well, again, Yax, what do I know? I'm only one of the world's most renowned beer experts. So. World's most renowned, eh? <laughs> Cigar experts. That's what I meant to say. All right. Let's see if you had that quarterly coming out. <laughs> I need, do you want me to talk about You said you have two beers. Do you want me to talk about yes. the other one or Sure, because of uh, well, you know what? No, I'll uh, I'll let you know when I crack those open. Let's keep the show okay. going. Well, I will uh, go on to the good doctor then. My second beer is way more geared to pair with tonight's film than. Uh, yeah. But hey, Daniel loves his campfires. I'm a happy camper uh, with our friendship with Daniel, so I, I thought it was a good fit. Yeah. All right, like I said, I'll go on to the good doctor. He is doing the from the. You know, that's how I kept getting this wrong. Spindle Tap Brewery. The Copper Chopper Amber Ale. 
uh, Spindle Tap uh, opened up in uh, 2014 in the wonderful city of Houston, Texas. Mm. Uh, the the chopper is 5.3%, and I could not find an IBU. It is an amber, so I'm excited. it's low to no bitterness. That's Doc, right, Doc. correct assessment. Is so, it good? Uh, I don't care for ambers. I, I kind of find them boring. Yeah. Uh, boy, I hate to be harsh, but so far, boring might be an accurate term. It's a uh, doesn't have a bad taste to it at all, but it's just a. What can you say? It's an amber ale. I mean, it's it's there's easy going, <laughs> but nothing really remarkable about it. What was your thought process in picking tonight's beer, Doctor? It was available in the store that I went to. <laughs> yes. He did what he could with the resources available. At Shellman's oh. Liquor and Spirits in Highland Village, Texas. <laughs> if you're looking for an amber ale, that's the place to go. They have a fine selection of beers there. Okay. okay. Excellent. I will. All right. Good Tuttle there. Apparently, he's on a diet. He's having the 100-calorie hazy IPA. But it's called The Running Man, so it's got that going for it. I love the name. I love the tie-in. It's a girl beer, Tut. Well, my thought process behind it is that I am half a week removed from finals, so... uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going straight to bed, and I got to get up at the crack of dawn tomorrow and go straight to the books. So unlike last Thursday, where I was useless uh, after the last show, I was useless for an entire day after that bad boy. Uh, I did not want to risk that. I cannot risk that going into finals. So uh, yeah, I wanted something light. I wanted something that uh, would not cause any harm. Uh, so uh, the way I sum this beer up, it's crap. I would not recommend it to anybody. It's bitter. It's boring. And it's not bitter like in cool hop stuff either. It's just bitter and nasty. It's just, it's not good. It's man, it's not good beer. I don't like it. I just. Yeah, because I don't know if I want to know who makes this thing. It is made by Fourth Tap Brewing Co-op. Oh man, we uh, like those guys. It's uh, located they, they in do, Austin, do, Texas. Yeah, they're not awesome. Uh, they do the Kung Fu Robot. Uh, yeah. Yes, they do. Oh, time. So, well, that's what I was saying, Kung Fu Robot. And but I was, I was interested in this one because it is a locale. It is a hazy IPA. Yeah. But I was going to ask him because you know they're the stats for it is five percent, and it's listed as being four IBUs. I couldn't yeah. find any anyone different saying anything. I was like, "How do you get a four? I it's a but it's an IPA. Four. That's what they say. It's an IPA. It's not. Okay. It, um, man, it looks it, like beer. It does not taste like beer. You know what? I've had hundred cow beers, and you know what? Uh, they're okay. You know what you're going into. If you get a hundred cow beer, you know what you're getting. Actually, that's into. not true. Uh, Dogfish makes the. It's called the slightly mighty. 97 yeah. calorie IPA. Uh, I haven't tried that one. My wife drinks them. I, I don't touch that stuff. But uh, 
I'm just kidding. I've had quite a few. Uh, it actually, it's actually a really good beer. Is it? Okay. Like, I don't see how with that beer out there, why anybody's drinking Michelob Ultra, because this beer actually has flavor and flavor and taste. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's so typical Tuesday Night Cigar Club, because Fourth Tap is one of the only breweries over the last five, six years that, like, shares our, our reviews Re, reposts are like they, they, they've been very like love what you guys are doing and then Tut pulls out his dick and pisses all over their brewery well I wouldn't say he did well, that I mean, discuss this one particular beer <laughs> and I, I was interested because you know I have seen a, a number of beers that have come out recently for quote unquote the more active person yeah as opposed to just being like you just said, your your ultras or your fifty five. And, and and I and I was just uh, that was half in jest hut. If, if look they, at me, X. Do I look active? <laughs> you could be. You just just one step away from it. Yeah. We don't see what's <laughs> well, going I'm on. I'm one from, step away from something, my friend. All we see is what's going on from the neck up. <laughs> look. Yeah, I was I was just half kidding. You 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 obviously don't care for one of their beers, but we love the Kung Fu Robot, and um, I I I was just joking around. So hey, man, we can't like everything. I know I'm a little bit disappointed because I when I saw Kung Fu Robot sitting right next to it, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a low count beer from an actual beer maker. Yeah. Well, you, you win some, you lose some. Hey, we have episodes that that people are. Dang. Totally. We'll see where this one's headed. But you know what? I mean, we're we're not batting. We're not batting. Uh, doctor, help me with my baseball analogy. Batting a thousand is that a great thing? That's right. Nobody bats a thousand. We're not batting a thousand here ourselves, boys. So fourth tab, don't don't feel too bad about yourself. Uh, if they were really gonna lose any sleep over. <laughs> uh, I, wake, I wake up in the morning. Fourth tap standing outside <laughs> on the street. We're going to co-op your ass. Yeah, study this, mother. I respect the reasoning behind your decision, Tut. Right and here. This thing is is drawing, like, and I appreciate your honesty, as always. Uh, this thing is drawing like a dream. I'm, I'm getting a slight pepper, about an inch in, uh, going with that gram on the, on the nose. Are, have you guys noticed any? Uh, there was nothing there initially, but now I'm getting a little bit it's very subtle, but I, I'm getting a little bit of pepper on the nose. Yeah, boy. I have got that. When I first lit up, I I got like a, you know, first few puffs. I got a little spice, and then it disappeared. So I just assumed that was combination between that and the spill lighting up. But then I have been getting a touch. It's been coming back a little bit. What are you guys yeah. getting? I'm actually getting, getting a little bit. More, I'm actually getting a little bit more pepper than Graham on the on the retro hill. Yeah, it's building. Uh, I'm cur- kind of curious to see where that goes. Are you, are, yeah, so you're still getting the cream, and uh, you know the the cedar on the draw. Yes. Yeah. Me too. It's a very mild cigar. It's an extremely mild cigar. It's an extremely light cigar. It should go well with your beer. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. It's a light beer. I mean, if it doesn't have a, if the beer. I tell you how bad this one is. I'm about to go get a Dosakis out of the fridge. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Tough it out. 
Tough it Believe out, in yourself. Boys. Tough it out. Hey, it was good. I like the. I like when I saw the can, the Running Man. It made sense because we're going to talk yeah. a lot about. We're going to talk. I, I thought it was cool. I was like, damn, he got a good beer. It like yeah. ties everything together. We're going to talk about, I, quite a bit about the. When I saw man. that name, I was like, dude, this is perfect. Locale, Running Man. I mean, it's a hazy IPA, but you know. but unfortunately, he got the Dynamo of beers. <laughs> hey, don't you don't you disrespect Dynamo? Um, Dynamo I, I, was a beast in the zone. I'm not gonna say I got the Captain Freedom of beers here, but I <laughs> I definitely got the Fireball. It's pretty good. It sounds like I may have gotten the only good beer tonight. I don't know. Yax, what are you drinking? I am drinking from Revolver Brewing their Blood and Honey. It's oh, a yeah. wheat beer. Okay. It's a classic. I was looking originally for something more to, to fit with the movie but or, or the cigar, but more Christmassy, but I couldn't find anything. So there's a lot of Christmas beers, but they didn't seem to tie in. Uh-huh. But I do remember, because I have had Blood and Honey many times, uh, it has a slight sort of a cinnamon flavor to it and i was like yeah there's there's some christmas in, with cinnamon so okay but then i was like hey you know blood a lot of blood that works, with, that works with the movie there's a lot of blood in tonight's movie now, i will i will echo and the honey of course with the wonderful actresses Olivia there's, Hussey. Some, there's some cute honeys gotcha. oh yes i'm going to just steal tut's quote whatever he said about that running man beer is how i feel about your beer i hate <laughs> that beer <laughs> it is one of the few beers I've ordered at a bar and could and couldn't even take more than three sips of. It, I thought it was just terrible. Let's hey, I'm gonna stay away from that. I like it. You're crazy. Apparently <laughs> so, but I like that cinnamon. How's it? I wonder. It might be playing interesting with the cigar, huh? A little bit. I was concerned after I got it because I was like, wait a second. I didn't know enough about the cigar to be like, is this, you know, and I, and I thought about it. I mean, this isn't, you know, I didn't know if it was just going to be like a, a flavor bomb or if it was going to be more mild. Right. With, and then I'm like, so I'm, I'm lucky that, 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 like I said, it's not like it's cinnamon beer. It just has that light yeah, flavor. Little, so it's not, it's yeah. not interfering with the cigar in any way. Well, Daniel is. I don't think it is. Daniel is very a uh, big fan of smooth in his cigars and in his the way he carries himself. Uh, and this thing, to his credit, what's he always what's he always told us about a cigar? He wants it to draw like a dream. It's got a beautiful draw. It does. And construction's been great. I was worried about anytime you light a cigar weird, whether it's like outside in the wind or with a, you know, a Bic or, you know, if you're like kind of, you always run the risk of you know, kind of fucking up the, the burn line for lighting this thing with a piece of, of wood. It, it's burning beautifully. It's doing great. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just so mild. It's very mild. It's very mild. You got to really kind of pay attention you can pick up those nuances of, of the cream and the, and the cedar and the, and the pepper and the gram, but you got to, you got to be, you got to look for it, which, you know, I guess that kind of goes along with the campfire, paying attention to your friends and paying attention to your cigar. Um, well, what happens if you genetically can't get one of the flavors? Tut, you can't get cream. Yak Boy can't get butter. So, what I, is it with the dairy products? <laughs> I, I tell you, it sounds fantastic. 
I can't I can't pick up cottage cheese in a cigar. I just never have been able to get There's that note. Never been cottage cheese in a cigar, and I would be worried if there was. I've had I've had a couple that I bet it was there. I just I just didn't know it. I've had the same problem myself, Kid, with turnips. Turnips. Yeah. Unable to taste turnips. And everyone says I fell off the turnip wagon yesterday, but I think it would be. Hey, I didn't know you were in the next room, and I I, I apologize for that. I'm sorry. You knew I was in the next room. <laughs> meant for me to hear that. Well, here's a funny story. He didn't have he didn't have any of these cigars. Um, when it, when I when I contacted him because uh, he was a longtime advertiser on the on the show, so we emailed back and forth, and I contacted about I read about it on Aficionado and. I was like, Daniel, I was like, I'd love to feature these on the on the show. And he's like, you know, Kate, I'd love you to. But he just didn't have any. But he's like, here's what I can do. He's going to send me one of these actual humidors, these $2,000 humidors, to show it to our audience and the whole nine yards. And he's like, and I'll send a return postage. Uh, so, like, immediately I was going to have to send it back. To like, it was going to come with, like, an armed guard and, like <laughs> – they're gonna watch me the whole time, and, uh, but he made it work. He 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 got back to me on his own. It was like, hey, I'm pulling him out of my own personal stash. To, to... he's just a cool guy, man. He's just a, he is just a damn good guy. Uh, one one of my favorite guys we've had the pleasure of meeting in this industry. Um, as soon as the axe gets back, we'll. Uh... Oh, we're already halfway through the show. Kind <laughs> of talk about this movie a little bit. Yeah, I just like talking to him. Yeah, there's just I, I I'm just such I just don't like talking to so many people. When I meet somebody that I like talking to, it's such a pleasure. Yeah. Like a new person. Like I like talking to you guys, but we talk we've been talking for years. It's very rare that I meet someone new in life and I'm like, Oh man, I could talk to this guy all night. Like I'm getting something from this conversation. Like I'm I'm Again, again, I get that from you guys. No, I know, I know what you mean. I just, I don't get that from very many strangers that I that I meet and have conversations with. And and the guy is just, he's lived a life, man. Um. All right, Yak boy, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Cut. Clap, clap. All right, let me crack open a fresh, happy camper. This might actually be the last one of these. I might switch gears to see how the other beer works with a cigar here in a minute but first i want to introduce our film turkey shoot hey it was just thanksgiving i don't know about you guys i still got some turkey in the fridge turkey shoot also known as escape 2000 why escape did i pick this? 2000 as you loyal listeners of the podcast know we have always in the past paired our daniel marshall cigars with an arnold schwarzenegger film because the two of them are longtime friends, and God knows we love us some Arnold movies. But here's the deal. I really, really wanted to talk about The Running Man tonight. Like, when I kept looking at Arnold movies on the shelf, I just kept – I didn't want to talk about anything but The Running Man. But the problem is we already featured that. We've already done it. Yeah. Go back and watch. It's a great show. So I picked a very similar theme movie that was, wait for it, released 38 years ago. Just like The Cigar – just like the Opus, 
38 years ago this year, Turkey Shoot, a.k.a. Escape 2000, was unleashed. On I was wondering what your thought process was in this How's movie. That? Every, every now and then you'll pull one of these foreign flicks out that kind of surprised you. So I was just kind of curious. How's that for a cigar tie-in, huh? <laughs> uh, it is a well, great one. Well, you know, I was looking at I was looking at 1982 action movies. We could have done the first Conan. That's when that dropped. But, Very true. Man, I I honestly, after Thanksgiving, I did not have the energy to give Conan the Barbarian justice. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. And I just there's so much to dig into there. Um, I mean, just the backstory alone with De Laurentiis, how it came to be with Oliver Stone and John Milius, like. We, we, we talked for two hours before we even got into the film, and I was like, no, I, I, I'm too sleepy. Uh, tryptophan is is going to be to blame for this one. I'm going with Turkey Shoot, um, and I, I, I think we'll have fun with it. Here's a little summary of the film. In a totalitarian future where deviants are held in rehabilitation camps, a freedom fighter and a wrongly accused prisoner form an alliance to survive their decadent oppressor's game of kill or be killed and turn the tides against them. Does that sound pretty accurate? Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, that I stole that off. Yeah. I, di- I didn't write that. Uh, written by John George and Neil D. Hicks. The film was directed by Australian filmmaker Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, which makes sense as this film was shot in Australia. Uh, Quentin Tarantino referred to this director in Entertainment Weekly as one of his favorite directors of all time. And uh, I've only seen one other movie of his as an Australian horror flick called Dead End Drive-In, I think. Yeah. Um, I can see that. I can see where, I mean, Tarantino has a a love for these kind of um, lower budget um, action flicks if done right. So I I can kind of see where he's going there. Um, Let me just, before my, I'm going to let my cigar go out before we begin. Tonight's film starts off with a montage of highly disturbing footage of actual civil unrest from around the world. People fighting in the streets, mobs splashing violently with cops, cars on fire. Sadly, it looks a lot like a lot of major cities in America in 2020, 38 years later. Hey. It seems it seems so far fetched. It's just crazy. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, doctor, to that point, when I watched The Running Man as a kid, even at a young age, I always had this feeling that these dystopian futures, like Blade Runner and Running Man, that they they were just these concepts that made for good movies. And imagine that I was wrong about something. <laughs> Mark it down, boys. It finally happened. I. I was wrong. Shocking. Uh, yeah, it was kind of creepy watching that opening montage, wasn't it? Like, they're showing you this shit that, like, this is going to get you to believe this horrible state of the world. And, like, dude, that's on our sh- That's on the news every night. Like, Yeah. Um, after the well, crisis. Yeah, but the difference is, is that there's always that. Like, literally, like, somewhere that's happening in true. the world. True. That's the one thing that that's the one thing that I kind of latched, latched on to. Uh, one of the greatest opening sequences that I like is the uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake, uh, where it's, you got Cash singing over the over the cliffs of modern day unrest, and I thought that was just expertly crafted. And I remember all those scenes of unrest, and then as I'm watching this, 
it's like all those scenes of unrest, except you could tell it was like the 70s and the 80s. I mean, well, and you could tell a lot this of stuff them, has been going on forever. Yeah, but you could tell that most of that stuff was other countries. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of American stuff in that opening montage. And yeah, you could make that exact same montage right now just using shit from the last six months, you know? Yeah. Uh, here, here in the States. Well, after the credits roll, we find ourselves in a jewelry store where a man has burst through the door as he's being chased by militarized police. As they beat the dude without mercy in the store, a beautiful woman named Chris, played by the beautiful Olivia Hussey, who works at the jewelry store, she begs the police officers to stop pummeling this guy. Well, the cops don't like her attitude. Oh, you his lover? He came into the store for a reason. The guy clearly just ran. Just trying you mean to the coppers didn't like his attitude? Oh, you are drinking the copper chopper beer, doctor. Oh, now it's all making sense. Uh, it was a stretch. It was a stretch. But... Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to you. I give it to you. I'm going to move you a little bit up above Yaks on the leaderboard. You guys are going to be battling out all night. Son of a... No, Yaks had blood in his beer, blood and honey. I, I'm still. Hey, we got cops. You got coppers. This is about cops in the society. And I'm not buying Yaks hole. Hey, there's some it's honey. a police. It's, it's literally a police state. Um, All right, well, you guys are tired. How's it? This has cinnamon in it, right? It's a Christmas beer. Yeah. Um. Well, not only oh, do yeah, they, I love you. Not only this is the episode where. This is I love the, you so much. I'm going to grab one of these beers in your honor. Drink them up, Todd. Pour it yeah. out. Be a man, Todd. Um, not only do they accuse this chick of being his lover because he happened to stumble into her store, just the fact that she's so appalled by their violence, they call her a sympathizer, handcuff her, and drag her, haul her ass away. That's the way these societies work. We then join our hero, Paul Anders, as he broadcasts from his little pirate radio station. Here's what he has to say to his listeners. Every day, more and more of us are being sent to the camps. More and more of us disappear or die. The government calls us traitors or deviates because we oppose its ideology. And then it tries to wipe us out because we believe we have the right to be ourselves. Then it justifies its policies by talking of worth ethic, work ethic, community obedience, social conformity. But what it's really saying is accept slavery or die. The time has come to fight back. But just then an armed group of government law enforcement officers burst in on him and take him prisoner as he screams into his microphone. God, don't give up. Don't give up. Fight for your children. Fight for yourself. And then there's always that one cop with a little billy coat just clunks it in the back of the head. and That's it. I think that's a great message. Go fight the state and try not to end up like I am being hauled away yeah. by the state. I'll never stop fighting, clunk. <laughs> uh, it wasn't much of a pirate radio station they could find him, huh? Yeah, it sucks because I think the I, – I love pirate ra- – the theme of a pirate radio, the theme of uh, radio-free whatever, underground, underground radio. So I, I was on – I was in this guy's corner just right from the get-go, just from that. you like a guy in a dark room with a microphone speaking to the underground. Mm-hmm. Doctor, best movie to ever do it. I think we're in agreement. Pump up the volume. Oh, yes. I thought you were suggesting this. No, Hard on, hard on Harry. Uh, Christian Slater in uh, Pump up the volume. 
Yes. Uh, late 80s classic. Love that movie. You ever see it, Dad? Uh, I probably did. As a lover of pirate radio, you would absolutely, in 80s films, you would, yeah. you would you'd adore it. It also features the uh, sumptuous, is it Samantha Mathis? Is she the one in that? Or... Yeah, that's it, right? I think you got that. No, I think you got the name right. Yeah, I think so. She's really cute in that. Uh, it's a great movie. It's my favorite Christian Slater movie by far. Um, well, we then find Paul, the uh, pirate radio guy, Chris, the jewelry store worker, and another prisoner named Rita, who is turned in to the police for being a whore as they are all being transferred in a military vehicle to a camp located out in the middle of nowhere for re-education to make obedient little citizens out of them, as Paul tells them. And get this, they're wearing yellow jumpsuits just like in The Running Man. The ones in Running Man were of a higher quality. Higher quality. <laughs> it had a sheen to them. Well, and these aren't skin-tight unitards like in Running Man, damn it, because Olivia Hussey and this other chick are... Yeah, the other two. You look Good like Lord. the sort of sweatpants you buy like in ten in a package at a Sam's Club. <laughs> they actually look more like the nighties you buy like at like the full body zip like up a onesie that you go to sleep yeah, in. But, yeah. I don't know about you, but the way I look at it is that if your society has a re-education camp, things might have gone wrong somewhere. Unless the people at the top are telling you that you need them and you believe everything those people at the top tell you. But we can't relate to that at all. I don't want re-education camps. Uh, you're trying to get your first education. <laughs> you got to well, go back? When I become the wealthy administrator who is running one of these camps in the future, I'll take that under advisement. Doctor, you kind of look like uh, if you put a gray jumpsuit on you, you could be a head of, the head of one of these camps. That sounded rather insubordinate, Mr. Cade. No, no. I was just telling you what Yak said to me on break. See? On colors on the front of your shirt? See? Oh, I'm an instigator. I'm an instigator. I was about to say, Doc, if you become so quickly, the uh, head, so you become the head master at a re-education camp, yeah, I'll probably be. Oh, hey, it's not, it's not that bad. Would you let us come into your little den and play chess and smoke cigars with you? I'll make evaluations on that on a case-by-case basis. Hey, but... After the chess game, you have your guys pummel us, just beat the shit out of us. Could I at least be your second in command, pummeling them? See, he's no, got I'm the hair. Do it. He's asking. Yes, Yax, you absolutely. You're going to be my Mister. Yes. Peter. We'll be doing the pummeling. What if I wear contacts and take off my shirt, exposing my hairy body, and grunt a lot? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let's just say if you wear a little black velvet vest, I might be into that. We'll find a, we'll find a place where um, Okay. Well, they're greeted. Oh, I'll tell you what. You can tell immediately that this camp is going to suck because they're greeted by an asshole guard who loves cracking his bullwhip every five seconds. Oh, God. While he informs the new campers to get head down and ass up whenever I command. Hey, Damn, that was a two-life two crew song. Uh, well, that's the first thing I thought of, too. It's like, head down, ass up. Don't say the rest. It's a, yeah, kid, I'm not, it's it's a not. children's program. Uh, no, God, no. Kids, run. If you've stumbled across this, run. I sound like a pirate radio guy. Children, if you found this, run. <laughs> and it also sucks. 
because every prisoner we see in the background is raking a large dirt field. They're raking, yeah. they're raking dirt, which will be explained later. Raking dirt all day. That's super, super shitty, isn't it, Yax? It's useless. So. It's seemingly useless. They're told, They're all told that while they won't understand their purpose for being here now, one day you will, and it's, it's for your own good. Inside the camp's headquarters, two fancy-talking older white dudes, imagine that, are drinking scotch, smoking pipes, and playing chess on the world's most enormous chessboard with hand-carved tribal pieces that are easily like a foot and a half tall. It's like the chessboard. The chessboard's huge. The pieces are like these these African tribal art that's like it's a it's a lovely chess. I play a lot of chess, so I, I would love to get my hands. I mean, I have no place for it in my house. It's bigger than my dinner table, but still. Well, maybe in this dystopian future, the larger the chess board, the more status. Status. Yeah. So apparently he, well, I mean, he does have a very dignified guest. So maybe he brought out the good chess board. Oh, you think maybe he's playing chess on some, you know, yeah, he brings out the big pieces. There's going to be a host to famous heads of state, Mr. Cade. One must enjoy the finer things in life. Mr. Uh, Secretary is going to be here in two hours. Are you done whittling those piece, those chess pieces yet? The guy's like, I'm trying. Damn it. Uh, well, speaking of which, his uh, the two men are Mr. Secretary, a visiting dignitary, and the camp's director, Charles Thatcher. And they're discussing how the nation's camps, they're all highly overcrowded. Except for this one. Thatcher, in his Dr. Evil gray Bond villain suit, doesn't let his camp get too full, as he can always find a useful way to dispose of of campers to keep his numbers down. I don't know, like orchestrating a deadly hunt, perhaps, where a bunch of rich, powerful assholes can come and hunt some of the deviates down like wild prey. That's a fun way to keep your numbers down. Thatcher heads outside and addresses the large mass of prisoners to introduce the three new additions. We learn that Paul's escaped from several of these camps before. He's got quite a record as a troublemaker. Tut style. I don't know. Tut's not the one using the multicolored ink pen. Doctor, have you added me to some kind of list? Hang on. I don't want to live in a world without color, man. Lock me up. That's but, my plan. You're going to be in a yellow running suit. Well, you can lock me up and put me in that yellow banana suit, but there's going to be another young up-and-coming podcaster who's going to wear even more flashy colors than me. He's going to chug more beers than me. He's going to talk real into this microphone, even more real than me. You're going to be sorry. It'll be your new cellmate. <laughs> Can't play City Hall. all planned out. You can't fight City Hall. Looks like I'm working for the right guy. See, Yak? <laughs> you get your wheel to the right wagon, Yaks. I'm going to like our professional relationship. I always knew the original beer trio from high school would eventually be reduced to a beer duo. I just thought the numbers would work differently in my favor. <laughs> Yaks, I thought we'd take him out. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, guys, real quick, I'm not quite to the halfway mark. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give this delicate cigar um, some patience. 
that strength is still slowly building for me. Um, I mean, it's still a mild, but um, both on the nose and in the draw, I'm getting a little more bolder. All those flavors are still the same, but they're coming across a little more bolder towards yeah. the ha- towards the halfway mark. Are you guys getting that? Yeah, it's definitely full, filling up a little bit. I don't want to say full because it's not. It's it's just building. It's slowly building. But yeah, it, it, there's not a lot of transition to it. Uh, though it's just a, a an emphasis on the flavors that it established early on. The retro hail right now is the best it's been in the whole cigar. Blow this cigar out your nose, folks. It's a beautiful retro hail. That graham cracker and pepper, especially with the upkick in strength. Like Todd said, it's still mild. But where it was absent completely in the early goings, it's there now. It's a beautiful retrohale, and it's it's being complemented by the 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 creamy coffee and that cedar profile. And there's something else kind of building there on the draw. I can't quite place it yet, but I'll I'll keep my I'll keep my radar on it. Are is it, you guys in sync with? I yeah. I do agree. I mean, I think it's building a lot. The that cedar definitely has gotten stronger. The the cream has stayed basically the same, but it like you said, it's not like it's it's become overpowering. I, I can agree with you. It's just just building. It's cashew. The other thing I'm getting on the draw now is cashew. It just started, but I'll uh, keep you guys posted. Salty cashews. Not getting the salt. Uh, that's what, that's what I was getting at first was the salt and there was something else with the salt and it's a, it's a salty nuttiness. Doctor, doctor, you keep your comments to yourself. (laughs) See, I know you, you think he's going to be your right hand man? Well, see, you're argumentative. Cody's going to administer the beatings. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't take, I don't take orders well. Cody, the prisoners, Cody, the deviants need their morale raised. Administer the beatings. He just, he just can't <laughs> listen. How is he going to work in this? Um, Thatcher tells the group that all he requires of them is that they obey a few simple rules, and in time they will possibly be released upon completion of their self-improvement classes. And then to really demonstrate how things work around here, Thatcher orders this giant eight-foot-tall guard named Ritter to grab a poor young blonde girl from the crowd and have her repeat the camp's mantra over and over again. Here's how it goes. Sir, I'm a deviate, the lowest form of life on earth. The re-education and behavior modification center is my salvation. I will obey the state, my parents, and you, sir. And she repeats it over and over again. But as she's saying this mission statement, trembling over and over again, this giant is circling around her and Make trying to make her flinch by like pretending punching her in the face, you know, like high school bullies would do. They come up to you and try to make you flinch in the face, and she's just quaking. This fragile little girl eventually loses her train of thought as she's promising to become an asset to society, and the second her mind goes blank, whack! The guard slaps the shit out of her over and over again. Which one slap from this dude, she would be dead. One slap from this dude, a lot of people would be dead. Yeah, but he's going back and forth, back and forth, over and over again. As Thatcher tells everyone, this, this is what works. The guard then body slams this little girl to the ground and starts kicking her ribs. He damn near kills her. Freedom is obedience. Obedience is work. 
work is life, Thatcher preaches to the crowd before dismissing the deviates. Boys, I don't get uncomfortable watching movies very often. This it was a hard scene to sit through watching this giant dude. Very, very uncomfortable scene to watch. My this chick looked like she was 15, couldn't have weighed 90 pounds, and this big ass fucker just beats the shit out of her. Anybody uh, know if this is the dude who played the police commander or the squad commander for uh, the Mad, Mad Max movies? Yes. All right. Yeah, you know, first, I liked him. The first Mad Max movie, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But in this, he just reminds me of, of the, the German guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. He's torn up by the propeller. He's got the uniform on. He He's does. over there like boxing. He does. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but what I'm seeing so far of the re-education and behavior modification center, I don't much care for. No. I, don't like the, I don't like this place. Don't want to be there. It turns out that raking dirt and carrying bucket after bucket of water to water the concrete may seem meaningless and stupid to us. But it's teaching these prisoners that in order to conform back into society, they must accept any and every order given by the state without question. Freedom is obedience, Kate. And obedience is work. All right, what do you want me to do? They create an atmosphere that on a low budget, as far as any sort of movie where there's been any kind of prison camp, whether it was a Vietnam POW camp or escape plan or anything. They create a horrifying prison atmosphere here. Yeah. The combination of just the, the dead colors, the menial labor, these hideous guards, it, it's it's pretty terrifying. It was a lot of talk until the, the dude beat the shit out of this girl, and then it became very in-your-face real what's going on here. Um, Uncomfortable. And, and, and very much to the well-orchestrated, Thatcher knew what he was doing, like, Whenever a new group comes in, you show Ritter beating the fuck out of some poor kid, and that sets, you know, that sets the tone. Have I set the scene here well enough, you boys, as far as where we're at, what's going on? Oh yeah. All right. Well, as we see Paul getting tortured in this rack type device, kind of like the rack in Braveheart, only they add st- stones, which basically it's it's like a There's a a big stone that's going to crush him, but it's counterbalanced by weights on the outside. Yeah, it's like it's like the Star Wars trash compactor, but Thatcher can change the pressure with these stones. Um, That's horrible, man. I was looking at that, and I was like, "That's ingenious," and that sucks. Yeah, Thatcher's lecturing him, and this kind of goes with what the doctor just said describing this place. It dawned on me watching Paul get tortured right after that chick get beat just how fucking bleak this vision of the future is and how well eerily similar to the running man, especially once the hunt begins, these films while tackling the same type of future couldn't be farther apart in their approach. Steve rails back is certainly no Arnold. I I'd never liked this actor on screen. Uh, he was in what's the Toby Hooper uh, space vampires movie. Life force. Uh, Life Force. He he was okay as Ed Gein, They're one of the original serial killers. They did a, a biopic of him in the 70s, early 80s. I've just never been able to really enjoy this guy on screen. So as the hero, 
He doesn't have any of Arnold's charisma or screen presence. Olivia Hussey, as the main chick, is just petrified and quivering throughout the entire, this entire film. She lacks any of Maria Conchita Alonso's charm. And as our lead bad guy, Thatcher, while effective in his cold delivery and his demeanor, he's obviously no Richard Dawson. So while Turkey Shoot is without question the more realistic depiction of how a government-controlled, highly censored military state would behave, the running man made it fun and a hell of a lot easier to watch. They're, they're so similar, but they're so different viewing experiences. Is that, would you guys yeah. agree with that? Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I think you also kind of have to put some budget constraints in there. Uh, I think they're, I think Running Man was operating on a little bit better firepower than what Turkey Shoot had to, had to put in the chamber. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Like, <laughs> for instance, in Running Man, when the hunt begins, they get shot down this series of high speed tunnels in these little rail cars. Here, they just shove them out of chain link fence. Yeah, they just let them walk, actually. They just, yeah, just open the chain like that. <laughs> it's your turn. It's your turn. You go. That's just yeah, one. So, of I mean, I'm not, I, I, think, I think comparing it to Running Man is a little bit unfair. Uh, oh, I just I couldn't I, help I it. I just thought saying. there were so many similarities and not just yeah. the yellow jumpsuits, um, which we'll get to a couple of them a little bit later. But, yeah, I, I, I just saw, which, let's keep in mind, this came first. Uh, I don't know. When, when did uh, Running Man the Richard Bachman novel come out doctor that was late 70s but it's still it's still all a it's still all a play on the the you know the most dangerous game of hunting humans which you know has been around for the better part of a century thematically it, it's similar to running man but they couldn't really be more different in execution and production yeah it was just it was two to me it was just two identical stories told so drastically differently yeah aesthetically and and just their approach I mean, this movie had zero humor in it. There was nothing funny in this movie. I think they tried some things to be humorous. I I found some things unintentionally hilarious, but (laughs) I I, I don't think the director was like, here's where we're going to get the laughs. uh, No, I can agree with you on that. There were some things where it's technically they're supposed to be more at that. What during when it was made, it was supposed to be like, oh my God, that's shocking, but I was over there like, ha, that's great. Well, I think we're going to get to one of those kind of soon. Um, well, unlike The Running Man, we do get to see all the women prisoners showering together, which is cool until the camera pans over a little bit to the dudes showering with them, and we get a glimpse of their dystopian dongs flapping around. <laughs> Doctor, didn't you play bass guitar in high school in a band called the Dystopian Dongs? Uh, you ought to know you were the lead vocalist. I, I was doing a lot of stuff back then, man. I don't remember much. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was the lead singer. Um, we, man. We were, a main, we, were a, we were a main act on the high school party circuit. Uh, yeah, we had like two gigs. Yeah. It's a good run for us. <laughs> um, dystopian dongs. It turns out that the prisoners are allowed to have sex with each other. But if a pregnancy occurs, the fetus is terminated and the woman is immediately castrated. Oh, and homosexuality is a capital crime punished by death, naturally. I mean, the female is sterilized. Sterilized, I'm sorry. The man, yeah. the man, the man is, uh, if he gets caught, 
in a pregnancy, he's castrated. His dystopian dong is dystopian yeah. gone. Dystopian <laughs> gone. <laughs> uh, did y'all kind of have the thought at any point that this future, this you know, this is what they they were thinking. This is how it would be in 2000, 18 years in the future. Um, and I, would, I forget, Running Man was kind of the same thing. Twenty years ahead, I think. Because um, I think when we actually did review the Running Man, it was about twenty around the twentieth. No. It was like nineteen eighty-seven or eighty-eight. It was supposed to be two thousand. It was the thirtieth. We I think we did it around the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. Um, did y'all kind of have the thought and point that this future is sort of a combination of both our radical right and our radical left in a way? Follow me on this. I think my first inclination watching this, especially these days with our nation's you know, leaders, batshit crazy responses to mass demonstrations and, and the way they handle the free press is to look at the conservative right as the scary, power-hungry, rich guys capable of anything. But there's certainly a movement among the left-leaning folks on the far end in political office that believe wholeheartedly that if your attitudes and your words don't fall in line exactly with their attitudes and their words, especially concerning social issues, then you should be canceled and wiped off the map as well. Not to mention the multiple you know, governors ordering total and complete lockdowns while they find dine at restaurants. They, they're getting caught right and left, not wearing masks and going out while they're telling everybody else to stay at home. And, and I'm not getting into the mask or no mask thing. I've made it pretty clear where I stand on that on the show. But all these examples is do as I say, not as I do. And all these examples of false step in line, whether you're Democrat or Republican. I just think we're so blessed in the United States to have total fucking assholes on both sides of the aisle and millions of morons that worship these self-serving cocksuckers hanging on their every word. I don't think you can say anymore that this is a man. This is, you know, this is worst case scenario with this party in office or worst case scenario with this. They're all corrupt, power-hungry fucks. So interesting, what? interesting. Tribe, how, how did what? what uh, I I did not. I, I mean, what you say is uh, I agree with quite a lot of it. I I never made it. I never drew anything from this movie to anything. I just, I just think the, the oh, way the, the the way the movie started off rang such a, a resonant tone with me with the those scenes that I just kind of went in. I just started as I watched the whole movie. I just started thinking about, you know, I, as a kid, I never thought this would, this could be a, a potential future. It was just something made up for fun movies. Then I think maybe as kind of a more, you know, agnostic kind of rebellious late teens, college kid, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's the, that's the Reagans, that's the, you know, the Republicans and that's well, how, but then when you get to be around my age where you're seeing the other side, be just as uh, self-serving and unaccepting of anyone that doesn't step in line. I, I just think I well, just it's think just a mess. The- it's just a message that we should viciously protect freedom, because regardless of who is in power, there's always the risk of that power controlling the society and controlling and controlling culture. Regardless of whether you're talking cancel culture from the from the left. Back then, back here, I think the guy, I think there's no mistake why this guy's name is Thatcher, because Thatcher was in control. 
she was a very moral upright person that was pretty much a the moral police the thought police so you've got your thought police on the left you got your thought police on the right so i think it's just a good type of deal is that if as long as you protect individual freedom and allow individual freedom there's a good chance that you can stave off this type of societal dominance but you know that's that's where the risk comes in when you start getting uh very ideological and very cult-like in your devotion to your idea uh, to your partisan or your party you know that's where the danger comes from and it can and you're right it can happen on either the left or the right well said Tuttle. and uh, thatcher was the actor's actual last name so but that oh, was it no i'm just kidding it wasn't oh okay <laughs> Yes, that was a salient point. Uh, you're right. And I, I just, I don't know. I was just trying to put it in kind of a modern context and seeing, you know, if the whole shit house goes up in flames and we all end up in camps, which side do I think would ultimately be responsible? I was like, you know what? It's kind of a crapshoot at this point. They're all power hungry. You know, look at Mitch McConnell. I mean, the guy looks like a fucking zombie. He's, he's, he's like 9,000 years old. And these fuckers keep, you know, electing him in. He's, you know, he's a gazillionaire. Yeah. And I, I, I just think, I think ultimately, you know, not to get off on a huge. But technically, you know, there isn't one that goes into office and doesn't end up that way if they end up staying <laughs> in long enough. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, ultimately, don't you think a lot of this, and then we'll get, we just have a little bit left to talk in the movie. Uh, but don't you honestly think that the, besides, like Tut said, do everything you can in your power to fight for for liberty and, and freedom and all that i mean don't you think term limits are the way to won't stop happen. this won't happen won't happen just go ahead and stop that everybody is always like well don't you think term limits is the answer yes term limits would probably do fix what you're what what you're what you're talking about but the politicians that are there have to vote that in and nobody's going to do that nobody's going to say you know what i'm going to erase the one financial bone that i have they're not going to do it. So just stop with that pipe dream. I mean, the only, right, the stop. only way would be a literal uprising by the masses. Simply to have, well, of course it isn't going to happen. But that would be the only way. Unless you have something catastrophic happen, and then they'll literally vote for it. But if I lead such an uprising, I'll end up in the doctor's camp with you bullwhipping me, X. That's not a distinct possibility, but let's not dwell on the future. That's if you're lucky. You might be getting the gas ball game. What was up with that bizarre one-man soccer game that we get to witness that Tut just talked about uh, right before the hunt begins? In order to instill an endless sense of fear in the prisoners, the enormous guard Ritter ties a young man's legs to two giant plastic hollow balls filled with gasoline and orders him to pick them up repeatedly as he and the other guards kick the balls around directly at the poor asshole. Eventually, it's so confusing. Eventually, the bloody kid, he looks even younger than the girl. He looks like he's 12. Yeah, yeah, he looks like 13. That's what I was saying. The bloody kid collapses from exhaustion and them kicking these kickballs in his face. It's like the world's worst game of kickball. Only the kickballs are tethered to his legs, and they're just popping him in the face over and over again. Totally he, reminded me of seventh grade gym. He finally collapses, and Ritter then, because the balls leaked, 
he lights the spilled gasoline. Did you notice this? Using a Daniel Marshall cedar spill. No, he didn't. Uh, he sets the boy on fire. And we watch this kid burn, and so does all the other prisoners in the camp. Another really harsh scene to watch. And it's followed by yet another terrible scene where we witness Chris, Olivia Hussey, in the shower where she's on the verge of being raped by that bullwhip cracking. I was about to cuss you. I was about to cuss you. I know. I promise no more rapes. Before she pulls up his zipper right on his nutsack. Ouch. So that stops there. I'm in the clear, Ted. Doctor, do you think think that asswipe will ever be able to fornicate with female deviates again after that? My God, his zipper went right over his ball sack. Every nerve ending in the scrotum must have been on fire with pain. I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. Is that what you guys call the medical field, a ball sack? Well, technically it is a scrotum, which I use correctly. But we say a lot of things in that field. Uh, Cody, make a note. Independent thought. (laughs) Oh, shit. Damn it. Hey, Yax, uh, for the remaining 30 minutes that you're on my side, uh, I'm switching over to my beer that I'm pairing with the film. Could you tell us about the Brew Free or Die? Brew Free or Die IPA. That pairs, right? Yax, would you note that by switching to beers, he's also demonstrated impulsiveness? Carry on. Of course. (laughs) Made by uh, 21st Amendment Brewing. Uh, they started back in 2000 in uh, San Le- Leandro, California. San Leandro. San Leandro, excuse me. Uh, it is a 7% ABV, 70 IBUs. But I'm interested because it is a California IPA, whether or not that 70 will seem much higher. I have not ever had this beer, so you can watch live. As that comes, that judgment by me and me alone comes out of the way. Not much uh, on the nose. Nope. Let's try it out. It's malty. It's far more malty than the Happy Camper IBA. And I remember when I used to have beers with maltiness. Bitter. Uh, what would you say the IBUs were? Uh, 70. Again, I'm going to have to put on my... I was my ex- hoping, considering it was, Cal- it was California. IPA. Yeah, no, those West Coast IPA. No, I'm going to I'm gonna have to uh, put this, like, man, low, low 60. And of course, you know, I mean, good tie-in. I mean, it's the 21st Amendment, the repeal of Prohibition. Tut, may I say... The 18th you're rounding, Amendment, which is a terrible idea... <laughs> The 18th, the 18th Amendment was a terrible idea yet? It was. Is that prohibition? That's prohibition. Man, that, that didn't last long. No. Thanks for creating organized crime. A dystopian future without IPAs, I, I, you can just bull with me to death. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I will gladly go face down and ass up and do whatever the hell you want if I can't have my IPAs. Hmm. See, that was the will of the people. That was the majority kicking in there. 
not not to go get all historical or anything like that, but my dad told me things that his dad told him, my, my grandfather from St. Louis, that uh, it, the will of the people was to drink. And so it was never enforced. And my, my dad said that his dad and my grandfather told him the story about how back then in St. Louis, um, when my grandfather was a young man there in the, uh, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s, and, and prohibition was still in effect that they had like neighborhood taverns, you know, it was like at the end of a block. And, and uh, the story that my grandfather relayed was that um, the, uh, the two cops would come by and uh, they'd stand outside having a smoke or whatever, wait for the guy to hide stuff, walk in, wander around, be like, you know, Hey, uh, not selling a beer, are you? He's like, nope. It's kind of like Mo from the no, which is a friendly neighborhood pet store here. He's like, nope. And he's like, all right. They walk around for a minute. All right, we'll be off duty in an hour. And the whole thing was that means when we come back in an hour off duty, we want a fucking beer. Yeah. It was like the 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 you know it was so the, the people were turning a blind eye when the when the people were coming in with bootleg whiskey. I'll get you beer, Baron. No, you won't. Yes, I will. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Prohibition? Yeah. Yeah, no. It was a terrible idea. We have a drinking podcast. It goes. Yeah, the problem yeah. was at the time when the government did something, people did listen. Unfortunately. Hey, I, guess, I guess if they did that again, we'd have to have a pirate drinking podcast. Yeah. If, you're, if you're out there, drink. Don't stop drinking. Drink no. for your children. This time around, if the government were to actually try to do prohibition, yeah, no. Unfortunately, I mean, it would. Be, I, it would I think that might actually. I don't know because I got I got too many people, too many smart people. They're just like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have nothing to fear. Just like the hussy chick, man. She did. She wasn't doing anything wrong. Some strange dude just busted down her door, running in there. Next thing you know, she's running for her life. Hey, if she would have listened to the cops, she'd be fine. Okay, do you think if they ban alcohol that I'd be running the camp like Thatcher? Or do you think I'm going to be like Dweezil Zappa and Mick Fleetwood in that underground? I'm going to be wearing a leather jacket with grenades all over it? Yeah. Booze away from Mency? <laughs> God. I'm going to be right there with you. With I, the I think within, hey, let's, I think- hey, let's put him on. We've devised this method of scale. We'll put him under here doing this endless military press. That guy's been having delirium tremens for 72 hours. He couldn't lift 10, 10 pounds right now. I think, I, think, I think 10 days without booze, you would actually physically look identical to Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> Not enough to lose your head over them. Well, I see a bunch of low foreheads. Big talk. No action. <laughs> that cuts over to Tut. <laughs> he hasn't spoken in three weeks since his last drink. <laughs> the loss of alcohol causes his tongue to swell up. He can't form words. Yeah, I don't want to do a pirate drinking. Look at that face. I don't want to do a pirate drinking podcast. I mean, barely anyone listens to us now. Imagine what that would be like. Well, that hurts. I'm just teasing. We have a, a wide dude. One point. Some, tell, some tells me that it wouldn't be that much different than what we're doing now. 1.2 million YouTube viewers can't be wrong. Except the president or whatever is like, my God, why can't you find these drunken assholes? They can't be that hard to find. 
just picturing Cade giving his last broadcast as the, the the authoritarian cops come in to arrest him. Drink, God, keep drinking, keep drinking. Drink for your kids. Oh. Actually, they could just let me stand up on my own and I'd fall and hit my head. Sobriety is huh. a <laughs> Ted had that look on his face like that's actually pretty that that hits home. <laughs> Whoa, 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 easy with the billy club. I can take care of this myself. Tell me. I'll just stand up. I'll just... <laughs> Give me five minutes. Just come out and handcuff me in the bushes. <laughs> It'd be so much funnier if it wasn't accurate. So the day before the big hunt, a super sexy but very rich and powerful woman named Jennifer arrives at the camp's headquarters with her fancy-ass crossbow that shoots explosive arrows. But she's almost thrown off her horse, literally, when it reels up in the air suddenly when she arrives. Because what? The freak, man. Yeah. On the porch of the house where all the bigwigs are hanging out, a wolf man named Alf, complete with thick body hair, fangs, yellow eyes, a top hat, and a classy black vest, is hanging out with them. Didn't see Damn, that coming. I wish I had a top hat for tonight. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Did not see that coming. French composer Philippe Leroux. Oh my God, Philippe Leroux? Says that every great memorable piece of music needs that one moment of madness. And I think it's clear tonight that this is that moment. The, smart, the cigar smoking bigwigs <laughs> explain to Jennifer that it's a freak they found in a local circus. A special treat to spice things up just for her. What are these guys doing at the circus? Looking for free. Thanks, you wish to be entertained. You need, you need good wholesome entertainment in the dystopian future. Now, y'all know, best. y'all know how I feel about werewolves in film. Uh, for such a big horror nut, I'm not a fan of them at all. But I did go on a big time rant one time when we visited Romacraft headquarters. We were debating, uh, somehow the Twilight films came up, and if we were debating if you had to choose between a vampire or a werewolf, what would you be? And I chose the werewolf mainly because as a wolfman, I could wear a sweet tuxedo vest, you know, the kind of just in the back, like the wedding vest. <laughs> I thought it was a cool look, so I did begrudgingly appreciate that wardrobe touch with this creature. The fact they gave him the black fancy vest even if they did add a white dress shirt underneath it later on in the movie. Why? Like the next day at the hunt, they're getting the, the werewolf, the wolfman ready. They're like, you know what? You should, probably wear, you should probably wear a dress shirt under that. He's a wolfman. Well, maybe they were considering the hunt to be a formal event. He was. We want our wolfman to look more formal. That is correct, sir. There is no Maybe excuse for not having class. Maybe the guy's to see blood on this white shirt as he tears apart his victims. Man, that top hat and vest was such a good look. I, I just, I, I thought they kind of fucked, fucked it up by giving him a shirt later. What the hell was he doing in this movie? I loved it though. I, I absolutely, the minute he popped up on screen, I rewound that moment like 20 times. Like <laughs> at first, I was like, did that really happen? Like, did I just see that? And it's like. I can't remember a movie where something happened that I had no, like, out of the blue. Like, maybe the gimp in Pulp Fiction, where you're like, whoa. 
this is unexpected. Hey, maybe that's they why Tar- maybe that's why Tarantino likes this guy's movies. Maybe this guy always injects some crazy fucking thing at the last minute. They put a fucking Wolfman in this movie. No, I like the simple explanation. It's a freak. I got him at the circus. <laughs> a freak is the bearded lady or the Siamese or, twins. Or, or the Wolfman. Or the, the Wolfman. He had fangs and... Yes, but this is actually a Wolfman. It's, like, it's like, not a guy that looks like a... It's not one of those weird hairy dudes that are just way creepy. Hey, 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 hey. Any of you weird hairy dudes listening to podcasts, I apologize. Or that are participating on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know what's going on under your shirts. It's a veritable force. Thatcher gives Paul, Chris, Rita, and a total weirdo idiot named Dodge new government ID cards and promises them if they can survive, as he calls it, the chase... They'll all be free to re-enter society immediately following. But if they choose not to participate, they'll spend the rest of their lives in this camp. So naturally, they agree. And the next morning, the hunt begins. Each prisoner gets a head start in 30-minute intervals, with Paul going last, obviously, so he can't help the the young ladies along. Uh, real quick, because once again, this chase, we're pretty much almost done with the film. Uh, where are you at on your cigar, Ted? Uh, coming into the final third? That's exactly where I am. You, what about you, Yax? I finished. Mine burned quick. Oh wow! It actually, it actually is a fast burning cigar. I, I was trying to nurse it, but I mean, literally, like every t- puff I took, it just literally shrank. And so uh, I was like, I, I mean, I have like a nub over here, and there, I was like, I'm done. I, both bands are gone, and everything. Well, um, I am with Todd. I'm, I'm in the the final third. The strength has it's it's still nowhere near the medium point, but it is right. it is continu- it continues throughout the entire thing to slowly build and build and build. Uh, the spice, like Tut said, has kind of overtaken the gram uh, on the on the retro hail, but it's still a lovely retro hail. Uh, while the cedar and that creamy coffee, I'm also in this final third getting um, that we get it every once in a while that weird kind of pencil shavings. Um, does that yeah. make sense? Does that make yeah. sense? No, 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 no. That makes yeah. perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Matter of fact, uh, as soon as you said that, that to me, when you remember earlier when you were talking about cashews, I wasn't getting the cashews, but I, I did agree that something was being introduced. And to me, it was the pencil shaving. Uh, they're there. I'm still getting uh, in the final third that salty nuttiness. Shut up, doctor. Uh, has died down a little bit. It was just there in the middle section, uh, but there was a, it was a nice kind of uh, yeah. surprise there in the middle. Man, this is just a very delicate, nuanced cigar. Um, construction's been great. It's still burning like a champ. Um, I get why Daniel likes this cigar, and I get why a close friend of his would blend this to his palate. Yeah. Um, because it draws like a dream. It's got some really nice flavors. And, and- I also get where they... Uh- they want you to do it with the cedar spill. I mean, that just even augments it. It's a very cedar forward cigar to begin with. And then throwing that, that cedar augment from the spill. I mean, it just enforces it. Yeah. Um, but man, that final third, those pencil shavings are nice. 
Um, it's almost kind of like a combination of that. And like Isn't it kind of weird to say that, but at the same time, like I remember, I just remember that smell. Yeah. And I've always been a fan of that smell from yeah. school all the way. It's just kind of weird. It's like, well, uh, it I might be like wrong. Savings, I, if but... you guys look I, on the YouTube screen, <laughs> I actually just uh, sharpened a ton of pencils in this pencil sharpener we have here in the wall. Of, That's what's influencing it. And, and the fan just blew them all up my nose. So that, that, that could somewhat be influencing that. But no, uh, man, cedar, really warm, gentle cedar, that creamy coffee, pencil shavings, salty cashews with a, a retrohale that's heavy on graham cracker and some s- real subtle pepper. Um, man, it's nice. It's a nice, it's a very nice, delicate, nuanced cigar, which Dana Marshall's a very nice, nuanced guy. So it fits. It tracks, as Tut would say. I like it. I if you like get it. anything uh, as you're nubbing it, Tut, let me know. If not, I will uh, kind of leave the cigar behind. I, I like the uh, Happy Camper beer a lot better with, than the uh, Brew Free or Die. Um, the Brew Free or Die is, is a little more malt heavy, which is weird for a West Coast IPA, but it's, it's, it's too malty for my taste. Um, I, I like my... I can't complain. Look what Tud's drinking. Um, sorry, Stuff but. happy. I'm not even gonna put that. I'll even put. Make sure you can. No, can you see that name? No, not really. I see the fourth tap logo. That's all I see. Yeah, that's who, what I wanted you to see. Who, by all accounts, are very nice people who actually like the show and or they used to. <laughs> they used to. I'm sorry. It's not your fault, Tut. It's not your fault. <sighs> Doctor, I just did a little, uh, speaking of Arnold, I just did a little Harry Shannon there. It's not your fault, Tut. Not, not your, your fault, fault, Tut. It's not your fault. Well, one of the hunters and the wolfman, Alf, easily captured the doofus Dodge. But rather than kill him quickly, the man tells the wolfman to tear off Dodge's pinky toe so he can't run as fast. So he rips open the end of his shoe Rips off his pinky toe, and of course, because he's a wolfman, he eats it. Alf is portrayed by Steve Crusher Rackman, who apparently is an icon of the on the Australian wrestling scene. I knew this dude had to be a wrestler. And his hulking physique is well known to millions of film fans around the world via his appearance as Donk in the Crocodile Dundee movies. Oh, do you guys remember Donk? Yes. I don't. I think I saw he was the guy in the bar that put the beer on his head. No, that was not him. Yes, that's Donk. I thought this guy was a lot shorter than Donk. Apparently, this guy was in all three Crocodile Dundee movies. I think yeah, I Donk saw is a Donk is a lovable character. Puts on, he's got the big ass chin. Well, he had a beard, obviously, in this or. Wolfman hair, you couldn't see his chin. Yeah, it's I, true. I don't understand why I can't recognize this guy. <laughs> oh, the weird contacts, the wig, the beard, the, fang, the, the fangs, the uh, super the formal, the formal attire vest. <laughs> Yak boy, is that similar to the vest you wear during catering gigs? It could be. I think I've seen you in a vest, someone like that. I wear such things on occasion. Never on a full moon. I noticed that. Shut your filthy mouth. 
I, I, I always I think he's getting lippy again. Might need some re-education. <laughs> like another independent thought to me. Ooh, uh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I only saw the first Crocodile Dundee movie, and even as a kid, I thought it was the stupidest thing I ever. I never watched any of the sequels. Oh no, they just got more and more absurd. First, he's just a outback Australian man. And then he's fighting drug dealers, and then he's raising a child in Los Angeles. At any point, did they just drop a Wolfman into the movie? <laughs> yes, they dropped have Donk in there. Lovable Donk. Oh, but donk. no, he if he at least put on a tuxedo, that might have been something. Okay. I love how these rich ass hunters were all drooling over each other's fancy high tech weapons prior to the hunt. Like they're showing each other their guns and their different ammunition. And this fuckface with with the Wolfman, he just runs Dodge down with a bulldozer, and then he stands there and smokes a cigarillo while Alf the Wolfman breaks every bone in this dude's body. He never That's your reaches, weapon. He never reaches for his gun. That's his weapon. His weapon is the Wolfman. There you go. Uh, at least the hot milf actually uses her crossbow. Oh, yeah. And boy, does she. Jennifer fills one pathetic prisoner up with like a dozen arrows, one after another, right before Thatcher dries over him in his little red buggy. That guy wasn't one of the official contestants. He was killed as a message to the other prisoners back at camp as he's hung up on display to teach them what can become of those who cause trouble. And he still has all those arrows sticking in him. That was kind of cool. And he was kind of an curmudgeon asshole anyway. I, I, yeah, yeah. He was, there was nothing but you know what? Real quick, real quick, that leads me to my another running man thing is Weiss and, you know, Yafet Koto and Arnold. When they're running, I cared in Maria Cachita Alonso big time. When they were running, I knew kind of, even with minimal backstory on, on Yafet Koto and Weiss. I actually cared about them and I and I kind of wanted them to escape. I didn't really feel like I knew anything about any of those. And the and the one I actually kind of knew some stuff about, the hero, Paul, was completely unlikable. And I was like, okay if he died. Yeah. Running Man did a much better job of making you root for the protagonist. Am I right, Doctor? Running Man did a much better job with everything. <laughs> that was my next question. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, the Hunter and Wolfman team tracks down Paul, and as Alf pins our hero to a tree, the Hunter begins racing towards them with his killer bulldozer. Only Paul tears off a sharp tree branch and stabs Alf the Wolfman in his yellow eye with it, and then Paul rolls away just as the bulldozer crashes into the Wolfman, pinning him against the tree and chopping the circus freak clean in half. And you actually see his severed waist just plop over, spewing blood like Yak Boy's beer tonight. Um, that was, that's, this is when things start to get really gory. That was kind of the first, that, that tree through the eye. And then this, yeah. from here on, things get really bloody really fast. But, you uh, know, I, this was, this is my, my only thing. Like, even with Running Man, this movie does the same thing. I'm like, you literally let people run. And it's not like they're running in, in a in a void. I mean, to me, I'm like the natural instinct is pick up something to make a weapon. 
do do the classic Shatner over here and make make a some sort of crude projectile weapon. They but they don't do. I mean, do, doesn't well, even pick not, up a stick or a rock. I mean, yeah, but I mean, Schwarzenegger, Shatner, these are all like you know, Shatner's an action hero. He was Captain Kirk. These are frightened jewelry store clerks and whores. Like they're, they're well, not, yes, but not thinking that way. But not Paul. He's escaped from multiple prisons. He's essentially a podcaster. Ain't no so podcast. Hope for us Ain't in no this dystopian future. He's will be able to kill the Wolfman. Futuristic podcaster. Ain't no podcaster going to be making shanks. No, and, but I'm at least going to break off a tree limb. Well, speaking of Paul, he runs off and he stumbles across Chris, uh, who's just about to be killed by Mr. Secretary, that fat bastard. But that guy makes a mistake. Before he kills Chris, he wants to tongue kiss her. Come here, baby. Oh, he's wanting to do a lot more than that. Well, That's he, doesn't get, he doesn't get a chance to, Todd, because by him giving her, trying to force himself on her, it's a big mistake because it gives Paul time to bum rush him grab his gun, and shoot the fat dude right in the dick. Yeah. He deserved it. He deserved it. Paul and Chris then race off together until their dreams of escape are crushed when they arrive at a beach and they determine that they're on an island. It's oh, an shit. island. It's an island. There's no escape. There's no escape. How do you escape an island? Which, had they been to the other side to find a beach? Just hug the coastline. It could have just been a coastline. Hey, he was a podcaster. I trust his judgment. Well, he should have like made something, and then he said, we'll run along this beach. If we come back around to the stick, then we're on an island. I was totally waiting for Cody. They should have made a raft. They're they're in the jungle. They have all this. They have trees. Why didn't they make a raft? (laughs) You could see the other island off in the distance. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Just start that's swimming. A, actually, Todd, that's a pretty good... I, I would have made a raft. <laughs> the doctor, don't put that in my file. Yeah, insubordination. Agreed. I think that would be filed under creativity, which is frowned upon also. Insubordination. And, oh, now look at this, Jax. Churlishness. <laughs> Churlishness, the word. Can we take a quick uh, station break while I look up churlishness? Although I, no. I'm gonna just go with it. I'm guilty of it. <laughs> After the buxom Rita foolishly decides to jump in a gentle stream to wash off a bit, hey now, hubba hubba. You know what, Yak Boy? Are you with me on this? I like those yellow jumpsuits a lot better when they're wet. Well, they are apparently made of paper. Uh, she's spotted in the water. Who wouldn't spot her in the water? By the crossbow-wielding Jennifer. A chase takes place with lots of explosive arrows fired. Man, these people were... Na- back at camp, these rich fuckers were, like, plopping prisoners <laughs> away, like, without even looking. Out in the field, they can't shoot shit. They're like stormtroopers out here. It's a moving target, baby. It's tougher. It's tougher. Um, until the female uh, hunter finally corners her prey and shoves an arrow down her throat after raping her? That's what Apparently so. 
maybe she kind of alluded to to Rita that she was going to do things to her sexually that she had never experienced before. And then the next time we see Rita, she's dead and her yellow jumpsuit's all ripped off. It's ripped off, man. There's like, it's like her leg was broken completely. And the, that thigh bone was sticking straight out of the hip. It was nasty. Yeah. I'm thinking that rich bitch did some shit with those arrows, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of clothes coming off, do y'all know why the pilgrims pants were always falling down? Because they wore their buckles on their hats. Okay, I lied to. Is that a doctor? Is that a punishable offense? Lying? I lied to Yax. I said I was done with the jokes. Uh, I get a pass there, though. I get a pass. That was funny. I get a pass. No, do I look like I'm laughing? I'm not sure I want to work in this camp, but if I could. Come inside just to watch the punishment. You know, I'll I'll mind my p's and q's. Are you saying just to see me get punished? Well, if you keep telling jokes like that, yeah, I'm sorry. I actually <laughs> tied the gas cans on you myself. Oh God, you want me to participate in that gas can game? Well, you're not participating. Ruthless. You guys are ruthless sons of bitches. Well, teach me to tell those jokes. <laughs> the nine foot tall Ritter confronts Paul on the beach. And Paul tells Chris to run for it as the men put up their dukes. You're right. He's like that dude from Raiders Lost Ark. It's just. <laughs> I just like. When I first saw him doing that with the prisoner, I'm like, that's all I thought about. And then literally they're playing that scene out on the beach. I'm like, come on. Well, his the fight on the beach reminded me of the last fight in uh, Silent Rage, the Chuck Norris movie did, because yeah. they fight on the beach and then they get thrown into a pond where they try to drown each other, which was just like Silent Rage. But then what happens in a minute is just like the Greco flick we did, uh, Point Doom, where <laughs> they fight on the beach and then the woman comes in at the last minute to save the day Ritter tells Paul I'm gonna fuck you up the ass mate that's a capital offense it is hey another example, guard. another example is do as I say not as I do uh, after they brawl a bit Ritter draws his pistol it happens in every movie bad guy fist fights for a while when he gets tired he just pulls out his gun but before he can shoot Paul a feeble little Chris, quivering, scared little Chris, grabs Ritter's machete that he had stuck in the sand and lops off both of his hands. And like I said before, this is the point in the movie where, like, it's supposed to be shocking, but I literally just, like, ha, <laughs> ha, I started laughing. Dude, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was over the top, but it was a really cool special effect. You see his severed hand, his mechanical robotic twitching hand, on the trigger. Twitching yeah. on the trigger. You see his other one that like flew like 10 feet away in the sand, still doing stuff. And the guy's just looking at his hands. Except when he stands up and does that, you can clearly see that his hands are tied down. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> Doctor? Oh, my God. Kate's hands are gone. She's what what hands how can I smoke cigars with no hands? Um, things get really nice 
and juicy and gory here in the final act. Paul and Chris end up killing the hunter in his bulldozer ATV. Not so tough without his little wolfman sidekick, was he? Um, and they jump behind the wheel and storm the compound, breaking down the fence of the camp. As meek little Chris, dude, they could have at least shot this better. You know that scene in True Lies when Jamie Lee Curtis drops the Mac-10 and it goes down the stairs and kills like 20 terrorists? Yeah. He is clearly pointing up at the sky. And then we cut to... She has like one hand on it. She's trying to hang on to the Jeep. (laughs) And the gun is like three feet higher than she is because she's such a small woman. And I'm just like, oh, man. She's she's firing in an arc. And he's trajectory. The bullets are raining down upon the bad guys. And she's so timid throughout the entire the entire movie. She still looks just as timid here. I was just like, well, the 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 trained soldiers who've been training for this their whole lives can't shoot anything, but she is just mowing them down like (laughs) like Rambo in Part Four with that fifty cal. It's funny you mentioned that, Yaks. I, I read a thing. I don't. I can't, uh, you know, confirm if it's true or not that Olivia Hussey was very uncomfortable on this entire set because when she got there and had already begun filming, she had apparently said that she didn't want to do any nudity, and then she was put into a situation where they were expecting her to do nude that shower scene before the rape, and. I, there was like some quote as far as it was one of the most miserable. She's done a lot of shit. She's still doing a lot of. She's she's a very working actress. Uh, I first saw her in uh, Doctor Black Christmas. Uh, hey, that was also Bob Clark, wasn't it? I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that was the Porky's Christmas Story guy did Black Christmas. Anyway, um, which was a precursor to Halloween as far as late seventies slasher movies. Well, she's that, famous for playing Juliet in, in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and yeah, Juliet. Yeah. But apparently this was a very uncomfortable, not fun movie for her to do. So I wonder how much of that just I don't want to be here was acting, which it should be because you don't want to be in this camp. Yeah. But also, but also just like she, did, I, she didn't want to actually be here. I read the same thing. I read the the breasts in the shower are not hers. I could have told you uh, that. Oh yeah, they were really big. She, that, that she did a cut. She didn't want to do that, and so they had somebody else do it. And that also, I don't know where I read this. It could have been IMDb. Um, she was very frightened of being in Australia. She's an English chick, and and. Uh, just was worried about the wildlife and things like that. So yeah, I think she may have actually. Well, it was by criminals. That's true. So who knows what they're taught in England as far as what they hear about Australia? I mean, all we hear about is kangaroos and Mel Gibson, which is terrifying enough. But uh, that's true. <laughs> Mel, yeah. Mel Gibson, right? Not the kangaroos. Both. Kangaroos are awesome. They do have a lot of crazy animals in Australia. Well, there's that scene. I'm a big fan of the shoe as well. There's that scene with her when she's hiding down in this ditch from Ritter and uh, Mr. Secretary, and she comes across these skeletons of people that have previously tried to escape. You mean last last year's losers? Last season's losers. Winners. 
uh, and there's a the snake coming out of the mouth, and I was like, you know, I, I kind of wish there had been more because the Australia is known for its wildlife and it's crazy. And this is so out in the middle of nowhere. I, I was kind of hoping there'd be more of that, like, you know, like dodge that that double cross cross-eyed idiot was like stumbling around like a a dingo would just jump out and just tear his face off. I was about to say, but those nightmare creatures actually kill people. They probably didn't want anything to handle it. You're right. We'll just go with a wolf man. (laughs) Send in the wolf. A vest on? Send in the wolf man. We put a little vest on the dingo. Would that work for you? Um, Well, I love that that special effect of those hands. Um, Oh, well, get this. Now that the prisoners are somewhat free because they've broken into the camp, they've knocked down the fence with this bulldozer. Well, with the gates destroyed by the bulldozer, the prisoners all arm themselves, and it's time to fight back. At the same time, we watch as a handful of fighter jets take off from a nearby military base with orders to investigate and wipe out. I repeat, wipe out. And why you, investigate? Do you really need to investigate something <laughs> if your orders are to wipe out? Just destroy everything you see. Yeah, because I'm going as our relative, uh, our relative military expert. What kind of fighter jets were those? Putting you on the spot. Foreign. Foreign. Okay. I don't know exactly what kind they were, but there were actually two different aircrafts. There was a B-roll cutaway that was totally not the same plane. There was a uh, there was a variable wing. The kind of like the you know the uh, F-14 can can go uh, straight yeah. wings or swept back wings. So there was like this long shot of these swept back wings going into position, and then as soon as they get off in the air, they cut to a head-on deal. It's totally a fixed wing. It's like a MiG or a Mirage type airplane, but yeah. it was fixed wing, all solid piece. And I was just like, oh come on, dude. Resident military expert was the term I was trying to not our relative. Military. <laughs> We're not related, are we, X? I hope not. Got to know. Some of the shit we've done. Um, well, it turns out the sexy but evil bitch Jennifer is the one who called in Strike Force One to burn the place down. She's making the tough calls that Pussy Thatcher can't find it in himself to do, as that would be admitting failure. And you know what this government feels about failing at your job. They're all but- about how you do at your job. But she wouldn't it wipe this, out her? She calls in it. Yeah, she's hardcore. She calls in this airstrike, even if it takes her out. Oh, and during all the chaos and mayhem, we keep cutting to the countryside with Thatcher driving around in his little derpy red buggy through the. the I like the that. Grass. I like that derpy red buggy. I found it hilarious. Every time <laughs> there's all this shit going on, and they cut to him driving in this little fucking. Red golf cart. And I was just, I, I laughed every time. <laughs> I'm going to get you, Mr. Bond. I'll be there eventually, Mr. Bond, at three miles an hour. <laughs> As These roads Chris, are bumpy and muddy. I can't go too fast. <laughs> Don't want to get stuck in the mud, Mr. Bond. As Chris confronts Jennifer in the headquarters by the chess set, they get into a, a fist fight, and Chris, timid, scared little Chris, 
jams one of Jennifer's explosive arrows down her own neck, blowing her head off, which that was cool. It was. I enjoyed that. And we get to see her head literally get blown off her fucking neck. The armed prisoners and remaining guards are engaged in an insane firefight outside. All of a sudden, there's like a thousand guards and a thousand pri- <laughs> like it's a big scale battle going on out there. My God, for such a seemingly small operation, they kept a massive amount of rocket launchers in the armory. <laughs> Everybody's got a rocket launcher. Everybody's firing missiles. It's crazy. <laughs> Thatcher finally stocked the armory with 4,000 rifles. This is insanity. Everybody gets a rocket launcher. Finally, Thatcher arrives back at camp. It took him a while in that stupid little buggy. Uh, And he grabs an M16 and rushes to the front of the line to lead his men in battle, only seconds later to have his head shredded off his body. By Paul's 50 caliber. I I was like, that it. was a classic, like, scanner's head explosion. It man. was, I he loved got it. Ripped Not only does his head explode, his chest explodes, his arms explode. It was Dude, so clearly a rubber mannequin that I just laughed my ass off at that. I always thought my favorite 50 cal death stuff was Rambo 4 when he goes nuts on that 50 cal. Oh. But, dude. When this, when Thatcher gets it with that fifty cal, that might be my favorite gunshot death ever. <laughs> it was, it was right up there. He is turned into brisket within seconds, and we get to see it all. It's awesome. <laughs> and it wasn't. It, well, the cool thing was is that it wasn't like a pop. Everything explodes all at once. You actually, it's like head, shoulder, chest, boom, 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 and just dun, dun, dun. head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees and toes. <laughs> Eyes and ears, mouth and nose, head, shoulders, knees and feet. They're all destroyed. I've never seen a man destroyed like this on film. It was, it was epic. It was awesome. I was just I was just waiting to hear Paul, the Paul character eat hot lead and like That's the thing though, for this being the epic bad guy Thatcher, there wasn't that moment of like him saying a line or he just showed up and like, nope. Potter's <laughs> the dude. I mean, the only thing that would have made it better had he literally been like three feet away from him, like no, no, no. <laughs> then you would have just expected to explode. But I mean, he's literally like a hundred yards away, firing a machine gun at him. Which, by the way, the owner of this art, this bulldozer RTV with the fifty cal, that that well-trained rich hunter guy. Remember when he was shooting at Chris as she was escaping? He couldn't hit her with that fifty cal. She was running forever, and he couldn't get a good shot on her. Boom, Thatcher's dead. Well, he had, well, he had Alf with him, man. He was just there to smoke his cigars and drive. Yeah. He's I, not I firing can, guns. He's letting Alf do it. Guns are so uncivilized compared to a wolf man. Well, that hunter was kind of like me when we all go dove hunting. I let you guys <laughs> do the, the dirty work. I just sit there and smoke cigars and stroke my beard and uh, – <laughs> As the prisoners fall back and retreat into the mountains, the Strike Force 1 fighter jets arrive on the scene and drop a gazillion missiles on the Re-Education and Behavior Modification Center, destroying it completely. Paul and Chris look at the carnage and embrace in a hug as Thatcher's beloved camp burns to the ground. We end with a quote on the screen. Revolution begins with the misfits by famed author H.G. Wells. And that's it. Roll credits, the end. 
But they're still trapped on that island. They're going to get blown up by the next crew of Strike Force 2, right? Yeah, it's all love and all games. Until that... yeah. it is, well, if they're on an island, then there has to be a dock, which has to have a boat. Strike Force 2's jets will be there in 10 minutes, and they're not getting off on any boats. No, especially when the expeditionary force lands on those beaches. I think, uh, Doctor, you mentioned that the the thing also came out around this time, which had the ultimate nihilistic ending. I think I, th- I think this is they were happy just to see Thatcher burn, but they know they're they're toast. They're not going to make it out of here alive. Oh no, man! I don't I don't know I don't know what we can infer from it. I mean, the, well, picture, what, contrast this with the end of the Running Man. At the end of the Running Man, after they kill everybody, Arnold grabs Conchita Alonso. They make out. And everybody's cheering out in the streets, and you like feel like this act is going to change the the momentum of the nation. I got well, that's because in- well, in Running Man they expose the whole thing as a lot as a corporate lie. Yeah, so but, that, here, that but the whole thing here change. is the whole thing here is there's nothing to expose. Everyone knows right. the bullshit. But the white job is look, so if that Chris it, simply hid the umpling code in her vagina. Then all of this could have been avoided. Do you think that's the uplink code? Do you think that's where it was? It could have been. Sure, make up lies about me. I don't know what what is even meant to be inferred from it. When when you first send in the wipeout group, I think they're going to drop a nuke on the island and just yeah. Yeah. cloud left. They just bomb the facility. And then they're driving back. They're, well, we did it. We wiped them out. So we don't know that anybody is coming. Tut, we don't know that the Australian expeditionary force is coming. We don't know <laughs> that they out number two. They might just think we bombed the camp. It's done. So maybe they're going to live in some Blue Lagoon utopia. I guess there is that chance that no one ever goes there to investigate. And they, these, these people just live off the land and are happy, happily ever after. The guy, hey, the guys in the plane are just obeying orders. No, I don't fault they, the guys in the plane. I mean, they doing, did what they had to do. They're doing their jobs. I, I get that. But I, I, I thought it was a very sad ending because, yes, you killed the bad guys. But there's going to be way more bad guys coming to kill you. and. You're on an island. Sensibly, I don't think when you watch Turkey Shoot, you're supposed to make that inference. I just didn't see how these guys were getting out of there alive. I got the sense that's how the whole world was. It wasn't just how their countries run. The whole world was run by like a... a Paul was going to go back to that burned camp. He was going to find some parts. He was going to make a new radio. And he was going to let all of his followers know that he's back on the air yeah. telling the truth. That's what you guys would expect from me if shit goes down. I will find a microphone and I will keep the Tuesday Night Cigar Club going. I will keep reviewing cigars and getting drunk and talking about stupid-ass movies. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul on the island, and I've got the 45 spinning and the beavers grinning. We are back on the airwaves. Then Chris comes by, would you say about my beeper, Greg? Oh, sorry, baby. This is radio talk. Uh, I guess I just didn't see it as much of a happy ending. Speaking of happy endings, do you fellows know what cigar always leaves me with a smile on my face the moment I'm done with it? What's that? What cigar? The minute I take the final puff yaks, I'm always happy. 
After smoking the Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Bell for Minute Cigar by Drew Estate. The Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Bell for Minute is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica, Drew Estate, in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pepe and Winkles Family Reserve Bell Ferment is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig-sized Vitola of the Pappy, head over to pappyco.com, as that's the only place you'll find it. Smoke it. Let us know what you think. All right. A couple of things before we uh, never talk about this movie again. I really like the score by Brian May. Not the Brian May of Queen, by the way. Uh, this is another Brian May. I was about to say, I was like, I totally did not get that. An Australian composer. Uh, he also composed the music for at least the first two Mad Max films. Um, it's really complex, and I thought it was perfect in the way it mixed traditional instruments and a lot of stuff. But then there was a lot of stuff that was just kind of synthesizer heavy sound design. I thought yeah. it was a great, great score. Every, every. It wasn't Brian May from Queen? Yeah, but this is a different Brian May. No, so this was this was a different guy. Okay, I thought it yes. was. Yeah, no. It, Maybe it, that's how he got most of his jobs. Yeah, Brian May. Yeah, yeah sure. Brian May. I didn't say I was the Brian May. I just said I was a Brian May. Um, so yeah, I, I really dug the score. I also thought the Australian countryside where the film was shot was utilized really well, from the high cliffs to the rushing rivers. If you're not going to have a human hunt take place in a somewhat confined area like the Running Man in the Zone, I thought this was a good way to do it in broad daylight under a giant blue fucking open sky. I'm glad they didn't do this at night. Um, yeah, I thought I thought I thought that was a good way to handle it. I actually do need to kind of something that I forgot to mention that I wanted to give out give a little hint out to our listeners. If you ever find yourself in a running man situation or in a dangerous game situation and you're alone on an island and you're running from a bunch of rich people with crossbows that are hunting you, if you come to a big field that is very open, do not go into the middle of the big field, especially if you're standing up in the big field. Go around it. Keep to cover. Dodge and weave. Don't go out in open spaces. Dodge and weave. Dodge and weave. Also, dirty up your giant yellow suit so you don't stand out in the green, verdant forest. Think Arnold in Predator. Roll in the mud. They'll never see us in these banana suits. Or find a banana field to run and do. Dude, the, bad guy, the bad guys are looking through their binoculars. Well... I, I see a couple five foot eight bananas, but no no sign of the prisoners. Uh, yeah, uh, those are that's all very good advice, Tut Yaks. Uh, in case any of our listeners are ever being hunted in a dystopian future, I think you just help them out a, a great deal. Um, Be one with the trees. My final thought is: while I definitely prefer my beloved Running Man over Turkey Shoot, there's to me. I know, Doctor, you mentioned earlier that. 
you didn't think we, the rest of us would be kind of associating this movie so much with Running Man. Um, there's no denying to me that Running Man potentially took a few things from tonight's film. From Chris discovering that ditch of last year's winners slash losers to especially the one hunter relying solely on his ATV to hunt down his prey a la Dynamo. I, I just saw way too many things to where I was like, you know what? The guy, the, the team behind Running Man had to have seen Turkey Shoot and, and taken a few little things that they thought would be good. Um, obviously, they took those things and made them better. And uh, obviously, the hunters were characters in The Running Man where they're just rich assholes in this movie. Um, the the injection of humor into the running man, especially via Arnold who actually has some charisma and uh, some self-awareness that he brings to everything was he's a hero you root for, not this, you know, plank Steve Railsback. But uh, I, I just, I just saw a lot of similarities between two and I, it made me realize and appreciate what running man did to make me like that movie so much more. Whereas this one, I get it. It's a lot more realistic. It's a lot more hard to watch, but I'm glad I saw it. I never, doctor, uh, you said you saw this movie. You, you read a magazine article about it 10 years ago or so. And back when Netflix was doing DVDs, you read the article and then you rented the DVD from Netflix. And you said you enjoyed it a lot more this time around. Very much so. And the first time around, I didn't make any, Running Man uh, connections. Uh, definitely, you're right. I mean, thematically, there's there's things that um, the writers, producers, so forth could have taken from it. Um, I think it's worth noting that I made no connection the first time I saw this movie because whatever Running Man thematically took from this, they improved on it so immensely uh, just from budget, writing, and acting that it's just, to me, it's... Yeah, I get it, but it's, it's apples and oranges, really, for me. Um, I, I I thought wanting to talk about Running Man tonight, and I couldn't because, hey, we've done the same beer twice. We can't, we can't actually done the same beer like four times accidentally. We can't do the same movie twice. Um, Two movies out there. But um, I, I, I'm glad we did Turkey Shoot. I, it had some really cool... Uh, I think relevant thoughts politically. And I thought it had some really great gory shit. And then when they dropped that Wolfman in there, it just went off the rails and that's what makes movies fun. I and, mean, I, I would have never, I would have never watched this on my own. So I'm glad that uh, this provided me the platform to watch it. Uh, I'm always down for dystopian movies. So I'm going to always try to give a nod that way to begin with, but I thought it was fun. Uh, was it a great movie? No, but it had a couple of moments in there, and did. Yeah, I, I liked watching it. I honestly think it could have been a lot greater with different actors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 80, 82, can you imagine some of the lead guys they could have dropped in that, that Paul role other than Steve Railsback? I mean, there, there were some great fucking B-level actors. I mean, Doctor, you could drop Tom Atkins in there. Oh, that would be a completely different movie. Although those shower scenes would have gone a lot differently. 
Yeah, he's a little older. I mean, I just don't like. I just don't like him on screen. I just. I don't know what it is. I just don't find him. No, I don't for reals back either. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you have a higher production value and you put 1982 Kurt Russell in there, then you know, then oh, I mean, yeah, then you're, you know. He probably, you know, like like Yax pointed out, there was there was some very humorous things that weren't meant to be funny. Yeah, uh, it didn't it didn't really have the heart in it because there was no humor. Well, uh, what this podcast often does, it makes me uh, watch and think about movies that I would normally maybe watch and just not think about, watch Hungover and just gloss over and not really dig into. But I love it when the show makes me watch something and actually give it some thought that I would normally kind of dismiss as as just passing time. So uh, I think we did Turkey Shoot Justice tonight, boys. And I'm still fucking smoking that Daniel Marshall cigar. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just, it slowed it down like that. I was. Yeah. It slowed down that final third and that, that mixture of pencil shavings with the, with the pepper and the cedar and the, and the cream. Uh, man, the final third, I think is my favorite. Portion of this cigar. Oh, it was fantastic, but I mean, I I couldn't stop it. You know that that's one of those things. I didn't have to relight it; it just wouldn't go out. It just <laughs> kept burning. Well, it, it's still going strong for me, and I, I'm 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 really enjoying Perhaps it. It was the oils from the cedar spill. It just kept <laughs> igniting it, just burning. Who knows cedar. what Daniel put on those cedar spills? He he handcrafted those for us personally. Pure gasoline. Love that guy. So three thumbs up on the cigar? Three thumbs up. Yes, very much so. Uh, like I said, uh, nuanced and classic, much like the man it was paid tribute to. Uh, I like the Happy Camper IPA a lot better than the the, the brew, brew Free or Die was way too malty for a West Coast IPA for my taste. Uh, but the Happy Camper was nice, and it, it was – very subtle. It played with the cigar very well. Tut hated his beer. We've said enough about that. Doctor, uh, your ale was. Don't hate it, but unless you're really somebody that just loves an amber ale, the uh, I'd steer clear of it. Didn't hate and, it, but didn't love it either. And, and Yaks, my beer. And Yaks, for some reason, you like that terrible beer. Exactly. My beer was great, but apparently you just don't want to enjoy it. Okay. Well, uh, as usual, we are at odds with each other and questioning our loyalties. Much like the I'm end. I'm not of the questioning day. my loyalty to you, Doc. Dax, oh, make note of Cade's disloyalty in the ledger. Boy, he's piling up the demerits. When did you get a ledger? I'm Once a, again questioning authority. Man. Shit, that was another question. And not only that, but questioned it really aggressively. <laughs> Churlishness. Churlishness. I still have to look up what that word means. Um, Tut. <laughs> yes. Now, now it might be a good time to give us some links. All right, join us on Twitter at TNCCCast. Hit us up on Instagram at TNC. Wait, yeah, at TNCC underscore podcast. Uh, you can join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. 
definitely join us and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Tuesday Night Cigar Club there. And by the way, Christmas is coming up. You want to do a little shopping for your loved ones, family, friends, or favorite podcast personalities, you can join. Uh, go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, click on the uh, Amazon banner, and do your shopping from there. Helps keep us uh, keep the lights on around here. Doesn't cost you anything. And uh, if you want to buy some cigars, I know you can't buy the cigar that we had tonight on the show. Uh, but if you want to buy some cigars, you can go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Click on the famous smoke shop banner. It will automatically enter the promo code TNCC20 for you. And anything over uh, 100 bucks, you will get uh, $20 off. That's like 20% off. 20 bucks off. That is 20% off, according to my right. math. Um, I haven't looked ahead. I don't know if we have one or two more shows this year. Um, I know we have at least one. Um, hopefully two, but at least one, uh, which will be our Christmas episode, which I'm very excited about. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already juiced. I'm ready to talk about it, but we'll save it for next time. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We hope you will, uh, Bear through these kind of strange times and uh, have a good lead up to Christmas. We will uh, meet you before then and deliver you. If you don't get Christmas cheer from anywhere else, you'll get it from us. Our Christmas episode is going to be, and I don't say this often, epic. Mm. Fucking epic. So you won't want to miss that. So uh, thanks for uh, spending your Thanksgiving hangover with us. Um, I will say this as I say at the end of every episode may the wings of, especially after this movie Jesus uh, <laughs> may the wings of liberty never lose a feather we will see you in two weeks hang in there sayonara motherfuckers about the time I time traveled ahead to a dystopian future where there were mass riots, food shortages, violent unrest in the streets, and yet the ladies still stopped in their tracks and stood in awe whenever Keith A. Howell strutted his stuff down the boulevard in a perfectly pressed pair of Bugle Boy slacks. Well, it turns out I didn't time travel at all. All this crazy shit is currently going on right here, right now in 2020. And it seems as if yours truly and his Bugle Boys might just be the only thing that can change the course of history and bring happiness to our great nation once again. Wish me luck, but spoiler alert, I won't need it. In the meantime, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit www.danielmarshallshop.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Go to work, get drunk, go to sleep.